Welcome to None of My Friends Like Comics. This is a podcast where a comic book enthusiast talks to a friend about a piece of work in the medium, and we break it down to see if that friend or first-time reader will pull it or drop it. This is Fantastic 2024, where we are diving headfirst into Jonathan Hickman's Fantastic Four run in its entirety. I'm your host, Nick Poffenberger. My co-hosts today are Raging Max Ravenscroft. Again. Ah. <laughs> Astonishing Chris Ashlock. Wow. And the ever-loving blue-eyed Brett Scott. Hello. Hello. I can see Where's po- your sound effects? <laughs> Yeah, last time you said wham, bam, gadzooks. I did kisses. You did exactly that. Dude, listen to the fucking podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess you listened to it. I thought you just remembered. No, I listened to it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I listened to it partly to remember <laughs> the shit that happened in the last one. Yeah. I, I did not remember a lot I of do it. that as well, but I also, I listen back anytime we do one because it's, it's usually like something that makes me laugh. I don't often listen to the ones I'm in just because I'm like, I was here I had this conversation. Done it, yeah. I texted you guys. I listened to the last one when I released it just for fun, which is the first time I've done that in quite a while. Because mm. after editing these, I'm usually like, I don't want to fucking hear this again. Like, I, I never. I will listened. be honest. I was barely there last time. <laughs> you were fucking. Drunk. Yeah, you you were struggling. <laughs> you didn't read the last issue. <laughs> I didn't know I was supposed to. And it's, we went to Amigos right before Ann. We did go to Amigos before Ann. Too many um, beers. This is why we're meeting early today. It's actually not because of the Royal Rumble. It's, <laughs> it's so Brett This is why you guys too, didn't want to go to lunch with me. It's so Brett doesn't get too wacky. <laughs> I, no. I made lunch. So that's why I didn't want to come. Sorry. And you knew is, I'd be sipping those margs. And this is actually an intervention. No. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, like, I never. I, I, I had it coming. <laughs> I never listened to Now Listen to No, you to were this. fine. You were fine. <laughs> because, like, after, you know, I have to spend hours editing and putting in the tracks and everything. And I'm just like, I don't want to hear this shit anymore. <laughs> I'm not listening to it. I totally feel you. I, I listen to those when you guys do one that's like out of left field. And I'm like, what, like the, Brent Michaels? what the fuck? Um, that one and uh, Chris... Christine Owens? Christine oh, Owens. yeah, we did CD. And then we interviewed him, which was amazing. Just because I was, was like, cool. yeah. I was like, who is that? I'm like, is that some country artist? And then I listened to the episode where you That's go about, boy. I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> holy friend. shit, what? We're like literally one of four reviews of that album. We call, yeah. we call him Chris. You, uh, you turn me on to a whole new world that I didn't know existed. Mm-hmm. Man's got his own universe going on. It's kind of cool. It's really cool. What the fuck are we talking about? Where yeah, are we here? Uh, well, this is part three of uh, Fantastic Holy 2024. Shit. Oh, I thought we were doing the Sepultura sarcophago thing. <laughs> right now? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> the wrong show, Max. But yeah, uh, uh, we're part three of Fantastic 2024, which is uh, kind of fitting because uh, one of the arcs we're talking about today is called Three. Uh, but yeah, we are back talking Jonathan Hickman Fantastic Four, and these two trades we are covering today are titled Future Foundation and Three, <laughs> respectively. These books come to us from Marvel Comics. They encompass Fantastic Four issues 579 through 588, which came out monthly from May of 2010 to February of 2011. Written by Jonathan Hickman, art by Neil Edwards, Steve Epting. We get Nick Dragota for an issue and Mark Brooks for a few pages. Uh, inks by Andrew Curry, Paul Neary, Scott Hanna, Rick Magner, Danny Mickey, and Mike Perkins. Colors by Paul Mounts. Lettered by Russ Wooten, and for a non-spoiler description, I put, Prophecies have begun, and the stage is set. The Fantastic Four find themselves in the midst of unprecedented change. The four cities have risen, and tensions are high all around them. Reed, flustered at the thought that he is forever fighting the problems of humanity, sees all of this as an opportunity to change tactics by forming a new, unstifled think tank. But not even Reed could foresee the tragedy that befalls his family as a result of everything happening around them. Let me tell you straight out. This one was finally like, I was like, this is good. I'm into this. Once I got past all that, like, like really rough, just like, here's a reference to something from 1964 that you're supposed to know about, obviously. And also like just slapdash, you know, everything being like, now it's all 
unspreading and it's coming out. The stories are connecting. There we go. It's getting good. Is that uh, indicative of Jonathan Hickman's usual writing style? This was his tactic uh, for for a long time. Kind of like slow burn, build up all the parts and then. Very, very slow burn. Yeah. Does he get better at like making it less um, like the early parts, less like scattershot? It, It depends. I mean, like his Avengers is pretty similar to this. Uh, to a degree, I think the arcs are a bit more long form, but um, I mean, he's definitely he's moved away from this and is kind of doing like the opposite thing now. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it, I, I don't know. It's, um, I don't know if you and I have talked about this before, but I've actually read his Avengers run the first part anyways. Really? Unwittingly, I read it years ago and I had the experience that you two are having with this book with that one. But that was because I literally know nothing about the Marvel Universe outside of like X-Men. Didn't he do uh didn't he do X-Men? He did, yeah. And that's the last few years. Yeah. Nick would text us like once a week and he'd be like, guys, fucking you won't believe this thing Cyclops did. It was so crazy. <laughs> he he's not the one that did all the uh, uh Emma Frost and Cat Beast era stuff. No, you're thinking of uh Grant Morrison. Grant Morrison. Or yeah. or Joss Whedon? Joss Whedon uh took over after that to kind of they wanted him to course correct and like kind of make it less weird. I didn't know he wrote comics. Oh yeah, yeah. I still don't trust that Emma Frost. Hey, she's in this book even a little we're talking about today. Is Scott and Emma Frost are they are they boinking? They're an item, yeah. Are they point. are why they, isn't he boinking uh Jean Grey? She's dead. What? <laughs> she's dead. I was gonna say at at this point, isn't she back and they're living on an island or something? This is a different this is a couple islands ago. Um Nick. They, uh, <laughs> Okay. I we'll, we'll stop there. We'll stop there because I don't wanna we could, get, oh, I have, I, we could get into it a little once we get to that. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. but yeah, so uh, this is a, all I have to say on this one precursor to the story is uh, this is a big turning point for the series. Any expectations going forward on this one before you guys read it? No. How about you, Max? Any expectations? Yeah. Uh, that the story would hopefully start coming together. Brett? I hoped the story would come together as well. There we go. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, we could just jump on into the story section then. Uh, this is where we recap the book at hand, beat for beat, tell you what we thought along the way. I mean, it's full of spoilers ahead. So you have been warned. All right. So this story starts off with Reed addressing the crowd at a big old conference called Singularity. Now, this is a conference that had been started by Reed, along with a few others, in order to come together and present forward-thinking ideas to aid in the greater good for humanity. Can I give a spoiler? Yeah. (laughs) He fucking dunks on these fools. He dunks on him hard. <laughs> and you, Ted, you suck. Ted, what the fuck were you doing? No, yeah, it's like, no, Reed gets up to much applause, but when he speaks, it becomes quickly relevant that he is disappointed in the vast majority of presentations this year. Uh, he commends uh, Jen Walters, She-Hulk, uh, for a good job on hers, but then just like tears everybody else down, calling them out on like, you know, basically their bullshit. Like some presented like impassioned speeches that were nothing more than like a politically motivated thing. Uh, some were aggressive like favoring financial security over progressive research uh but the ones that hit read the most are the ones that have a natural fear of tomorrow baked into their premise uh he says that they've all grown old making all of their ideas about preserving everything as it is uh making sure that you know they have enough to live longer and be happier and stuff and uh not I'm, thinking about humanity as a whole or thinking like of after they are gone we do got to worry about future proofing you yeah. know, you can't just always think about tomorrow, Mr. Reed. Hey, He'd kick me he's out. He's thinking about all the tomorrows. He'd kick me out. Yeah. <laughs> Reed then shocks the crowd by resigning from Singularity and saying, because there is a fire called Discovery burning within me, and I won't go back in the cave for anyone. And I just, you got to say, yeah, got to love Reed just spitting fire and talking shit right at the beginning. He's saying, I'm going to start my own research facility with blackjack and hookers. <laughs> One, fuck you nerds. I get, I like what he's saying, like for real life. Yeah. But. 
aren't there already so many other planets that they could be on in this universe? Um, I mean, yeah. So it's not. They don't have. I mean, there's no. I guess they don't have like a way to like you know massively transport people. Like I we guess. talked Aren't about. Aren't they just about to transport six million people? Oh, from they a did do planet? that for New World. Yeah. So I mean, it, there's kind of it's kind of disjointed. You got to make a New World. It is a little bit, Brett. Like remember on our separate Silver Surfer episodes, it was always like, why does he care so fucking much about Earth? And it's just because it's it's Earth. Because he likes the people. It's his home. So I get that. What I don't get, he's talking about this as if it were real life. But in this world, like, you know, Thor could just fly everyone to a different different planet. Yeah, but I mean, he doesn't want them to have to do that. You know, wants them to be self-sustaining and fix everything. Because in his mind, too, like if they went somewhere else, they probably just fuck it up because they just keep the same stuff. That's that's an argument, too, though. That's that's an argument that I hear from people like in real life, basically saying, like, if we can just perfect faster than light travel, we'll just ditch this fucking planet and go do another one. And just fuck up another one. Exactly. And I'm like, well, if we if we're able to finally invent such technology, I'm betting we can probably invent some like reverse ozone damage stuff or terraforming or something. Have you ever read The Expanse or seen any of the show? No. The only thing I know about it is that there are space Mormons. Is this correct? I mean, probably. <laughs> probably? It, it's been a while since I've read. I don't remember okay. a lot. But there's there's a one of like the big, it's the third book. They find these gateways that lead to other planets, like in other solar systems. And it's really interesting because they they find these planets and like, People are just like, it's like a gold rush to settle a planet. And then corporations are like, bro, we paid for the rights to this planet. And the people are like, well, I've been here for 20 years already. So, yeah, you know, that's not relevant to anything. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's, it's interesting. I mean, like, no. he's talking about being Columbus. Columbus did that. He does. Like, yeah. Hey, bro, this is my island now. Dude, what I, a great guy. For I don't, it, I know it's, it's, there's something about Christopher Columbus landing in America and being like, this is India. <laughs> that's so fucking funny to me <laughs> that's really stupid it's so dumb it, even even when you consider that what a numerous fucking fool they're like no and he's like yes see <laughs> si, senor he's that's like, you're you're indian and they're like no we're this is not india hey and he's like you know you, uh, that looks that sounds kind of familiar that sounds like sunk cost fallacy to me <laughs> it's like no I told her I was going to find any, and I fucking found it. He's like, that boat ride was so long. <laughs> you guys have no idea how long that was. Okay? I must have gone around the whole world. So I guess what? I read it twice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, so we cut to a week later after Reed just trashes all these scientists, and uh, he's welcoming Alex Power from the Power Pack into the Baxter building, who we saw. Who the fuck is this? We saw him at the birthday party. Um, uh, so it becomes relevant that Alex has taken Reed up on whatever project he was talking about back at the Franklin birthday party issue. I thought it was Johnny Storm for the first couple pages. I did too. And then later he's got like, he's got like a fucking Space Invaders gravity powers. Yeah. And I yeah. was like, what the fuck? Yeah. So Alex is the oldest sibling of a uh, superhero family called the Power Pack. <laughs> and They're uh, like the Osmonds. Yeah. Yeah, they are. They are a lot. Um, uh, they're very like, you know, like wholesome and they have like, Fun adventures. <laughs> they are kids. the Osmonds. Yeah. <laughs> like, and Alex is uh, really smart, you know, and he graduated college recently. So Reed is having him come in on the Future Foundation. You know, he's like, I'm poaching you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of. They were always friends with the Fantastic Four. Do you think he pays them or does he just get to live at the Baxter yeah, building yeah. and do I mean, science I guess for they free? Have, they would have whatever they needed. Yeah. You got to pay. You got to pay your guys, Reed. I'm sure he does. But yeah, it's also kind of a nice He moment. only keeps little kids around when he can use them. 
That's not true. That is true. He's using leech. Yeah, he does use leech pretty bad. And I don't know the other kids, the mole kids. Moloids, yeah. What are they doing? They're hanging out. No. Having a good time. Ben saved him, so they like him. He's hanging out. Yeah. <laughs> no one's ever watching the kids. They're okay. <laughs> but it's also they kind got of, powers they'll be fine on their own but it's also kind of a nice moment because uh, alex feels less smart than all the other people he knows that are involved in this project but reed assures him that his experience and knowledge is extremely valuable and just a nice uh, pep talk moment from reed to alex there uh we jump to the peak aka old atlantis and uh, seeing king Ulhuhar. right why'd you just shake your head this atlantis shit doesn't make sense what doesn't make sense about it so they're like you just be our amb- ambassador and she's like okay I'll, I'll forego everything else I'm doing and do this job for free. Sue's been a neglectful mom. And then the king dies, and then she's like, I'll be the queen of here. She doesn't pick that. They make her the queen. Yeah. But she fucking is right on top of it. She's all over it. She loves it. Well, she and then she's like, no, I'm leaving. You, like, what kind of queen? I have a mild uh, bone to pick with what I see as kind of like a weird inconsistency later during Namor's explanation. So we'll get to there. Okay. All right. So Agreed, Max. But yeah, we see uh, King Ulhuar telling their regent, Sue Storm, that he has been restless. And uh, he then ominously tells her that Sue will get from the old kingdom of Atlantis what she has asked for. Uh, like I said, if you recall, last time we saw these people, their city was raised to the surface by a regent from Namor, uh, who did not take kindly to these new Atlanteans being a thing. Uh, back at the Baxter building, we catch up with our Molaid friends, who were told they could stay uh, with the Fantastic Four as long as they like. The one who <laughs> is just ahead, his name is Turg by the way, uh, reiterates um, how they are allowed to stay, which makes Tong and the younger core happy. Mick, who's another one, however, is preoccupied doing equations, which show that a curved axis runs through three of the four prophesied cities and mirrors the negative zone. So there's like a weird kind of thing with the prophecy that he figured out, like using a bunch of math and shit like that. But yeah, they talk about how Reed asked for their help and they agreed that they should do so, uh, not before confirming that they will ask if the bin approves first, though. Uh, this is the first example we get of the Molaid kids calling Ben Grimm the thing, the bin. And I, I love that. Every I, time. I think it's really cute. I like to funny. think that they speak like this. They definitely do. The bin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The bin has brought us nourishment. They're the fucking aliens from fucking Toy Story. Yeah. They're, they're, they're that. But yeah, uh, now we catch up a little with our favorite running segment, New World. Uh, we ch- <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what this part is. I don't I don't know what New World is. Who the list fucking who who is like is Lightwave just Johnny Storm essentially same powers he's just a fire guy yeah yeah but he he's uh he's the human torch in a British sense like the flashlight you turn yeah on and, off. and he's like a cosmic guy he used to be a herald of Galactus <laughs> how can how can this how is he living for a thousand years he used to be a herald of Galactus so you, but listen he's in beauty. has he ever has there ever been a Lightwave requiem. No, because <laughs> two people would buy that. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah, uh, we check in on all the necessary characters from that convoluted adventure, and we see that Ted Castle and the gang are still alive uh, because we weren't sure about that the last time we saw them. Uh, Ted actually creates a time bubble, so he no longer rapidly ages like the time distorted New World does around him. He starts to experiment and perfect a synthetic body for which he can put Alyssa Moy, his wife and Reed's ex girlfriend, back into a regular body. Hundreds of years pass by with everything getting crazier and uh the ultron collective that we talked about last time where there was like a kind of like an ultron police force start building a base on a nearby moon 
Natalie X, who was the telepath who like was linking everybody's consciousness before. Um, uh, she takes over all the conscious minds on New World, creating like this socialist state. Lightwave becomes obsessed with the idea of serving Galactus again. Uh, and Banner Jr., the Hulk baby from uh, Old Man Logan that we talked about last time, gets old, but he lives because, you know, he's a Hulk. So he becomes the maestro. Eventually, yes. But uh, um, one thing that I kind of had to like reckon with this this run and I guess like Marvel comics in general is that like the technology makes no sense and they can just make whatever they need to, to suit what the story needs. Yeah. Like that Ted Castle can just be like, Oh, I made a, a time flux bubble for myself. And it's like, how'd you do that? Yeah. Like, you just do it. It doesn't matter. I mean, he made new world. How'd you do that? You know? <laughs> so yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm like coming to terms with like, just, just fucking don't, don't bother, you know, like to me, like don't overthink it. Yeah, they're not going to explain every single little thing like, yeah. to that to that degree, at least. But yeah, uh, we then cut to a scene where Franklin is in the uh, Baxter Building dojo and he's trying out catchphrases for before a fight. And Johnny and Ben give him some can, pointers. Can I, can I stop real quick? Because mm-hmm. I just got to say, what's his name is rocking Bruce Lee's outfit for Men of the Dragon. I don't know if that's because Johnny. Gonna... Is that Johnny? Yeah. Yeah. OK. I Johnny thought they, looks I thought they were alike. doing a, they, I thought it was they were doing a Kill Bill thing for a bit. Well, that <laughs> that outfit is Quentin just took that outfit from Enter the Dragon, put That's it on cool. Uma Thurman. They're so really, if uh, you if you tag the artist for this and uh, he wants to tweet at whatever the channel's called, if there's any commentary on that, let me know. I will. Or I just because they're in a dojo. Fight. They're in the dojo. There's yeah. It's Bruce a, Lee, the dojo. It's an homage. It's kind of cool. Homage. Yeah. Anyway, Johnny tells him that posturing and spouting off catchphrases is a cool thing to do, but it's what you follow it up with that counts. And meanwhile, on the couch, Val is tinkering with Dragon Man in an attempt to make him smarter. I forgot to mention last time about Dragon Man as much as we talked to him. He's an android. Yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this was, I was like, what? come on. <laughs> I was going to be like, what the fuck? But then I thought about the other shit that happens in this book, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah. It's I hope one day to be, get to move past it. <laughs> <laughs> Move past it. Dragon Man being actually a robot, eh, not, not the weirdest thing that's happened. Who built him? Who built him? It was a... <laughs> Ted Castle? No, um, it was actually a guy. It wasn't like a villain. Like, it was this guy who just built him because he got lonely after uh, his family died. And he created a Dragon Man, and uh, then Dragon Man escaped and then got used by, like, gangs and stuff to, like, rob banks and became a bad guy. But okay. he didn't really know what he was doing. And He's just a dragon man. But yeah, uh, Franklin <laughs> starts sparring with uh, Leech and Artie. There's a great moment where Artie projects <clears throat> the image of a Liu Kang-style fighter with uh, directional buttons above him like a video game. I thought that was kind of cool. That yeah. was an epic gamer reference. Back, forward, punch, down. What is kind of combo Back, is Back, forward, punch, down. But he's doing a kick. You know, it, it, he could be, it could be light punch, high kick. It could be. <laughs> However, in the middle of their friendly bout, uh, Val adjusts something in Dragon Man, making him breathe fire and go berserk for a second. Artie then displays a full 3D breakdown of Dragon Man's brain, prompting Val to see and fix the problem instantaneously. She then tells Artie to do the same thing for her pen. He does, and she says that her dad is going to love this because, uh, you know, he's got his little projection helmet thing that mm-hmm. lets his powers work again. Uh, but yeah, we then cut to Reed, who is keeping his promise from the first arc of going to go see the wizard. Uh, Bentley <laughs> is... What? He's what? off to see the wizard. <laughs> That's just uh, but, <laughs> Did they cut a panel where he goes, Sue, I'm off to see the wizard. I fucking love that this guy's name is just the wizard. Yeah. That's so that's like the best name. What is he like schizophrenic? Original member of the Frightful Four. Frightful Four. With Piss Pot Pete. Yeah, remember the last time. <laughs> Piss Pot Pete. Piss Pot Pete. I, okay. It's coming back. To it's me. coming back. It's coming back. <laughs> uh, we then cut to uh Bentley is hold up. 
in a metahuman psychiatric facility. And he is just running his mouth on and on about all kinds of cryptic stuff. Like before, uh, his doctor says he is just getting worse. Uh, Reed then asked the doctor to give him his helmet. And uh, he... He says that he stripped it of anything dangerous and maybe it will get Bentley to cooperate in conversation more. Uh, it does seem to have an effect because he addresses Reed immediately to thank him for stopping by. Uh, Reed tells him he wants to talk with him about something, but Bentley doesn't care. He says uh, he talks to God every night, begging him to let Reed succeed and be right, making the visions he has had wrong. And then he says, so you being here now, you having time to come see me, it must mean the early success of answered prayers or failure, which is it? And Reed just stares at him with his arms crossed. Then the wizard smiles wickedly and says, yes, we're on the road to Damascus, you and I. Yes. We've been blinded by brilliance so we can finally see the truth. God's math is constant and without variables. The results are always the same. Everything is going to burn. There will be no tomorrow. There is nothing to save. This is all there is. Uh, Reed can't help but look at, at the ground. He tells Bentley how sad it makes him to see him this way, but Reed is now more determined than ever. Uh, he tells Bentley about the clone boy that they took and how he's living with Reed and his family now. And he says he's going to prove to Bentley and the world that this clone can be good. He describes it as fixing Bentley. The wizard yells out, saying that he is who he is and nothing can change that. But Reed ends their conversation by telling him that he is wrong and he will offer the clone Bentley something that Bentley himself has forsaken. Uh, the issue then ends... As we see Reed back at the Baxter building, he's in a classroom talking to some people we can't see yet. Chalkboard behind him reads the future. And Reed goes on to say, so we'll begin here with you and me with a new focus for your ongoing and never ending education. Our curriculum will start at survival and end at the edge of an eternal tomorrow. The rules are simple. I teach one class and it's pass or fail. Welcome to the Future Foundation. Together, there's nothing we can't do. And we get a full page reveal of the classroom. And uh, who's in there? We got Val, Alex, Artie, the Moloids, Bentley clone, and Dragon Man. And obviously, this gets a bit more fleshed out after this issue. But what do you guys think of the uh, Future Foundation concept? Uh, I like Dragon Man putting on glasses. That is cool. I honestly didn't really like it. I was kind of just like, okay, he's teaching the kids. It also begs the question, if he's a robot, why does he have bad eyesight? Can't they just fix it? Moving on. It's because he's so smart. Moving on. <laughs> also, I want to say, I like this read visually. Yeah. He's got he's got muscles. You know, he's got a tight little ass right there, but... <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> was it you last issue? Uh, last issue. Last podcast that was talking about not liking the, the ripped read? Yeah, yeah, he was way too buff. The, this is a good, like, middle ground where he's he's got the definition, but he still looks like... Uh, stretchy man. Dale Eagle Sham drew him too. Reed's good because you, yeah, Reed, you can fuck up when you draw him, and it's like he's just stretching. <laughs> yeah. His proportions Dude, don't have to be right. Fucking, he's it, stretching in every panel. They told me to draw it that way. It cracks me up <laughs> the way like artists will draw him just like unnecessarily. Like it's like during like in a dynamic scene of people running, and for whatever reason, Reed's just like nineteen miles stretched out long. He's got one leg that's like way far behind everybody. <laughs> yeah, else it's just like, what are you doing? <laughs> It's the only fun they get to have. Yeah. yeah, It's fun. But yeah, no, I don't know. I think the Future Foundation is like a cool idea because, you know, it to me, it's indicative of much more than just like Reed teaching the kids. It's like, no, this is like his, he built like a new think tank and it's all these like young kind of optimistic characters and stuff. And I'm like, that's, that's neat. I like yeah. the, the concept. Yeah. I think I just didn't, I didn't give it enough thought. That's all right. Yeah. Uh, the next <clears throat> issue starts and we see Franklin and Leech waiting around at the Baxter building on a couch. Wait, Frank is Dragon Man a kid? No, oh. no. I mean, he's a robot. Okay. A robot adult? Old. Dragon? I don't know. I don't know in the timeline how old he would have been. When was he introduced? He spends the most time 60s. in the okay. children's group. Yeah. Yeah. 
He's helping him. He's helpful. He's, he's, he's kind of the, he's okay. He's, he's kind there. of the guardian. Yeah, yeah he's he's he there is. watching the kids while the parents are being neglectful. He's a much this, better parent. This dragon that showed up to your birthday, he, he can watch you for a while. Dragon man, I'm going I'm going to Atlantis for a few weeks. We watch Who the kids. to hang out with the dragon. <laughs> Okay, mom and dad are off on some errands. Who wants to hang with Uncle Dragon Man? <laughs> gotcha. Oh, but yeah, so <laughs> Leech and Franklin are waiting around the Baxter building on a couch. Uh, Franklin has an invitation in hand for the grand unveiling of a brand new toy line created by the Impossible Man. All right, Max, you can jump down my throat like the last time for asking you guys if you knew who the wizard was. But uh, do you guys know Impossible Man? <laughs> I'm going to stop you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, his name is Impy. Uh, Nick, he, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I know arcade. Hey, yeah, yeah, you know arcade. So, uh, yeah, so Impossible Man. Uh, his name is Impy. He debuted all the way back in Fantastic Four number eleven. Uh, oh wow! Yeah, he's of the uh, Papupian race. Is he kind of Mister Mixel Split? Yes, yeah. he is. He's a Bugs exactly, Bunny trickster guy. Exactly, fucking that. Yes. Um. So yeah, it, it, like because his race, the uh, Papupians. Or however you pronounce it, um, uh, they're they're able to manipulate their molecules to take the form of anything they like. I think it's know. pronounced papayan. Yeah, that's that's a pretty Bugs Bunny ass look he's got there. Mm-hmm. I'll give you that. I mean, this guy, it was pretty charming, but this yeah. this was all like, <laughs> yeah. Well, Impossible Man's Impossible Man's deal is like you know, yeah, he he's not a bad guy, but he does unintentionally cause problems every so often, uh, much like uh, the Great Gazoo. I was going to say that exact sentence. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and he's definitely, I was going to bring it up too. He's definitely a mixy uh, Mr. Mixel Splitnik uh, ripoff from DC for the most part. Uh, but yeah, anyway, Leech and Franklin get tired of waiting on Reed. So they go to go see him. Uh, the only thing is that Reed is in the middle of doing some work with the Future Foundation. Reed talks about the project that they picked uh, as their first problem to solve. And he is surprised for it's something that he himself has tried to do and failed. Alex and the Moloids think that they can figure it out from a different angle than where Reed has been coming from. And side note, the actual idea for the project came from Mick, the Moloid, who was doing equations before. So Franklin comes in to ask his dad if they can go but reed says he can't leave they're in the middle of something very important and he tells franklin not to fret though because even though sue is busy being like you know the atlantean regent uncle johnny volunteered to take franklin and leech and uh franklin tells his dad that he really wanted him to come though and reed apologizes again and he tells him to pick his head up smile and promise he'll have a good time val then waves says goodbye to franklin who awkwardly says the same back kind of a weird kind of tense scene where it's like oh reed obviously prefers val who's a lot more like him in that regard and uh he does tell franklin later he's like i don't love you like i love your sister (laughs) i don't love you at all you're a burden (laughs) but we then cut to downstairs where the kids meet johnny uh who's super stoked to be taking them uh great uncle vibes from old johnny here Uh, he immediately detects that franklin is upset johnny gives him a good pep talk saying you might find this hard to believe franklin but i know exactly how you feel when i was your age my dad always spent more time with susan the truth is they just had more in common than he and i did it doesn't mean your dad loves val more than he loves you She's just easier. And Franklin asks, you think? And Johnny goes on to say how him and Franklin are complicated and like to be troublemakers. And he then tells them that they have Reed's gold card and they will feel better racking up some charges on it. He then asks what is first on the shopping list because he hears the human torch action figures are pretty choice. Mm. But they want web shooters and repulsor ray gauntlets, uh, to which Johnny says to himself, I'm never having kids. Oh, jeez, Louise. <laughs> I would love to have a repulsor gauntlet. That'd be cool. I'd love a web shooter. They would be cool. I'm a human torch powers are are dangerous. I would not want that. <laughs> and the kids are like, that's that's dangerous. I do feel like <laughs> if you're not Johnny Storm, you would just die if you were lit yourself on fire. 
You would. You would. That's fact. Yeah. That's that's the best case. Worst case, you kill everyone around you. It's true. Yeah, but kill I guess whole family. What if you died, but the fire spread and killed everyone around you? So it'd be like kind of it's like a win lose because you don't know about it because you're dead. It would be worse. It would still be a lose lose. You get up to heaven, God's like, bro. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a dumb idea. I get it, though. <laughs> Johnny Storm Powers. Yeah. God damn it. So Johnny and the kids get to this grand unveiling event, and it turns out to be at a place called Arcade's Toys, and it belongs to Arcade, famed X-Men villain, Death Trap lover, all that stuff. Brett knows who he is. Uh, Johnny definitely played that game. Yeah. (laughs) He was in the first nine issues of X-Men. So Brett knows him. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Johnny almost punches him with a flame fist uh, when he sees him. But MP, the impossible man shows up behind him talking about peace and love while looking like a hippie guy. And uh, Johnny and impossible man hug and they catch up a bit uh, with MP explaining that Arcade and him are in on this toy business together. Arcade even chimes in that he's given up the evil uh, death trap ways and uh, he just wants to run this legit business now. And so Arcade and MP like kind of go off. Don't listen to him, Johnny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they go off to prepare uh, for the ribbon cutting ceremony. And Johnny asks what Franklin and Leach think and they call Arcade a creep, which Johnny agrees with. And uh, we then go to the ribbon cutting and Arcade introduces Impossible Man who makes himself look like Superman. And he starts talking about the toys and hyping them up and stuff. He talks about how they all have a bit of his impossibleness in them. A bunch of, you know, ridiculous shit, basically. And uh, then when Arcade prompts Impy to cut the ribbon, uh, we see that when Arcade promised he'd give up, he'd given up the death traps, he whispered under his breath, okay, maybe a, a tiny little death trap. And a giant... He just, an- like, <laughs> crossed his fingers. Yeah, basically, yeah. And then a giant anvil falls on impossible man uh then arcade (laughs) activates the toys which start going after johnny and everybody in the store one of these hits leech which incapacitates him uh impossible man lifts the anvil and starts to fight back uh franken runs to check on leech then angrily calls out to arcade when leech won't respond Uh, he tells arcade that that wasn't very nice and uses his reality warping powers to control a giant stuffed dinosaur in the store which then promptly uh traps arcade in its mouth Franklin then calls to Johnny to burn up the toys. Johnny does, and the day is saved. And Impossible Man holds Arcade for the authorities and thanks Johnny and the kids for their help. As they leave, Johnny tells Franklin that there's no way he won't tell Reed what a great job Franklin did at the store today. And Franklin says, thanks. And then Johnny says, now, tell me, what does your favorite superhero say? And Franklin and Leech both jump up and they yell flame on, which I thought was a nice moment. I don't know. uh, (laughs) Johnny in this issue, especially, I think he rules. He's like the epitome of like a cool uncle and whatnot. He's he's not a dick like he was in the last. They're setting him up so you like him at, at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Classic uh, literary trick. Yeah, they started to do that in the last issue of the last arc we covered when uh, he has that talk with Reed mm-hmm. and Reed like you know is like hey you know like you gotta you gotta figure your shit out basically and like and he's a uh, yeah I don't know he's just uh, he's trying a little bit harder it seems. I think with this too I'm coming to terms with like. As a whole, media has moved away from like episodic content and has become very like plot focused, especially like with TV shows or like fucking five episodes now, you know? Yeah. And this has a lot of just almost non sequitur, like uh, character development filler content. Yeah. <clears throat> day, like in the this. Life, day in the life type stuff. Yeah. yeah. And that's, I haven't read or interacted with a lot of that kind of media recently just because it's basically gone now yeah so i'm kind of getting more used to this long form story comic book storytelling yeah 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 no i i I agree with you yeah we then uh jump back to the new world minute segment of these books for two pages 
And uh, Ted finally made a perfect body for Alyssa's consciousness, so she's back. They escaped to Earth. Uh, the Ultron army completely terraformed that moon and is now known as Planet Ultron. Natalie X rules over as the prime consciousness of everyone on New World, becoming her own version of the world mind, they call her. Uh, Lightwave still yearns to serve Galactus. And Banner Jr. is now referred to as the Maestro because he's old Hulk and he's mean. Is the Maestro an older thing, or do I somehow just know that... Banner Jr. is the maestro. We talked about the maestro on the last episode. Uh-huh. He should have like violin powers. That'd be cool. The uh... <laughs> yeah, but It's just what he calls himself in, in this. Uh, there was this Hulk story written by Peter David uh, in the uh, late 80s, I think it was. But it's um, Hulk ends up in the future and it's a future where Hulk grew old and fucking just started ruling everything. Okay. You know, like it and like it. Oh, related. Oh, no, I, I remember this now. Yeah. Related, but not. There's a Seinfeld episode where Elaine's dating a musician and he wants her to, he wants her to call him the maestro. I remember that. <laughs> That's funny. I was going to say the way he's drawn here looks like if Detective Crashmore had Hulk powers, that's <laughs> yeah. what he would look like when he hulks out. Very much so. Cause, cause this I is still a, get the two billion. Because <laughs> you fucking suck. Even, Fuck you. Even if, <laughs> even if I do a bad job, they have to pay me that. Me like that smash. You know me like that smash. <laughs> Judging. But yeah, fucking so. amateur hour. <laughs> <laughs> So him like Stop running. Banner Jr. like being the maestro here, quote unquote, he's not like the literal maestro from that story. Mm-hmm. Like it's just the it's the same motif of like an old Hulk will inevitably become like a bitter asshole, you know, who lives forever. Yeah. So like and I guess it's just a common thing that when we see older Hulks, they like referring to themselves as the maestro. And they all have that <laughs> male power baldness. <laughs> like, yeah, it's something like that. I don't know. It's just a reference for people who like old Hulk maestro. Have you ever stories. read that I've seen- But he's also just uh, old. Uh, pictures of like an old Superman story, like where it's like future Superman. <laughs> he's got like long gray hair and a beard. He's got like a giant like Rob Liefeld shoulder gun. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> I'll say I'll say this frame as for Banner Jr. The music stops and the maestro takes the stage. If you don't know what the maestro is, that makes no sense. But I it's went, it's cool. Well, it's, just, went, it's just what he called. Okay. But I mean, but I, I mean, mean, it's a cool line. I don't know. I, I'd say that, that even even that if you hardly don't, signifies like he's the maestro now. What's a maestro? You know, like I'd, I'd say, yes, like it's a clear reference to like that old story. But at the same time, like he does refer to himself as that. So, I mean, you think like, oh, it's just like thousands of years pass or whatever. And he's just like calling himself something different now. He should have had a speech bubble. I'm a maestro now. He no, finds a, he finds now a conductor. He finds a, right. a conductor wand on the ground. Yes, he uh, he digs up a violin. I wish that God. I I thought about this the other day. I wish that we wrote this. No, I just I I really wish that I had the uh, the granted the episode turned out great. Thanks for subbing in, by the way, David. But when we did the Ant Man episode initially, mm-hmm. the Out Ewing Ant Man, the Antiversary book, I did it with. Max and Brett here and Brett talking about how much he loved that first issue of like them explaining everything in their speech bubbles and shit was like that's the most I've ever seen you like a comic book I think like you, you were it's fan. easy to follow you were like yeah and then, and then this punk is you know bugging him at the theater or whatever <laughs> like it was like fuck they take out a ray gun and they tell me what it does yeah, <laughs> yeah he's shrinking ray I don't want to have to retain all this information one I'm thing just, I'm just in it for the fun romp this New World stuff, I was a little bit, I was like, what's Banner Jr. been up to? That's 1,200 years is a long time. He's just fucking roaming around going crazy. Yeah. Bitter and crazy. But yeah. Uh, what is he on opposite sides of New Earth from these people? Yeah, he's just doing shit, you know? like, what, he, Why doesn't he go hang out with them? I mean, everybody else is under one consciousness. 
and then Ted is and Alyssa are locked away. Yeah, maybe they meet on Wednesdays for. But Lightwave's not under that consciousness. Are there a bunch of? Uh... Lightwave does have access to Natalie though. Are there a so bunch he's of? He's like in the midst of all that. Is this where the okay. Ultrons are? They're on a moon orbiting that. Yes. And she is the consciousness of all the Ultrons. She's the consciousness of all the living beings that are on New World, like just the regular people. Oh. Like a collective, basically. Like that's she, also a Rick and Morty. Yeah, <laughs> I remember you talking about that last time. I think Rick and Morty, th- those guys read this. Oh, they definitely did. Yeah. They had to have, right? They were just like, huh. The Council of Ricks and shit? That, uh, that, that podcast, Get Played. Uh-huh. Um, Heather Ann Campbell writes for Rick and Morty. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Ask well, her. What confluence, huh? Yeah, I'll send her a text after this. But yeah. Okay, uh, New World uh, interlude over. Uh, back at the Baxter building, the Future Foundation has summoned Ben Grimm to their lab. And Ben is all like, hey, stretch, make it quick. I needs my beauty sleep. I got to, you know, go see my Aunt Petunia tomorrow or whatever. And uh, Reed tells him to have a seat. And Val starts to explain what is going on. She says that when Reed gave them the option to pick their first project, they had a lot of great ideas. There's actually a, there's kind of a funny moment here when they all start naming their ideas. And the Bentley clone says that he thinks that they should build a death ray. And uh, but she says that, you know, the Moloids proposal for what to do was you know, the first project that they were like, yeah, we should do that. And it was Ben himself. Uh, they even yell out, hail Grimm, savior of the universe. And Ben is stoked. Like he asks if he's getting like super boots or a robot or a sub-zero like personal cooler. And <laughs> Val says, we figured out how to cure you, Uncle Ben, sort of. And Ben is taken aback and dismisses it saying he doesn't have time for this. And Reed reaches out to stop him. And Ben asks, Reed, you've been trying to fix me for years. And now you're telling me that a bunch of kids outsmarted the smartest man on the planet. Is that what you're saying? And Reed says that it is, and the group starts to explain why they think they figured it out. Basically, Reed had always tried to revert Ben back to being like a regular human, like how he was before. But because of the cosmic ray, like mutation that they all went through, it never worked because Ben is not like a normal human anymore. That's not like his natural state. So because they think they think that they can revert the power portion of his ability to be off for like a limited amount of time, which should make him look like his old self in theory. It's mumbo jumbo. <laughs> it's mumbo jumbo, but, but they figured it's it fine. out. Uh, he asks how long. Whatever happened to him learning to love himself? He does sometimes. All right. You know, I, he's not he's not as upset about all that. I kind of like that it is like sort of a back and forth struggle because it's very realistic. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like he's it that's bugs true. him some days and some days he's fine. You know, I mean, like, but yeah, I mean, he asks how long it could change him. And they tell him that uh, they think it will occur one week in an entire year, basically. So like a magic, it's a fucking magic potion. But yeah, it's <laughs> but, but Val, Val says if our calculations are correct. Yeah. It's kind of like the, I don't know if they still use it, but the X-Men had like power suppressors. Yeah, the collars. They, they can wear, mm-hmm. so they, it, but it's just like, so they can bang if they, if they're power. Oh, for people like Rogue. It's so Nightcrawler yeah, can go to high school. <laughs> yeah, for like, for like Rogue though, people that, like their powers. We don't want the X-Men Evolution fans getting mad at us. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I, get, I get love that, that show. Yeah, I know. I, yeah. <laughs> Val says she's sorry they couldn't make it longer, but Ben says that he'll take it. And the issue ends with Alex handing Ben a test tube full of liquid to drink. Uh, this is good character plot stuff. I think Johnny, you know, being a great uncle, Ben going through this unprecedented breakthrough. Uh, the next two issues are the first in over a handful of issues that we get a linear story told across them. Uh, well, it's not quite linear because there's time travel, but you get what I mean. It tells one story spread out so that, you know, you casuals will stop complaining to Marvel's editorial. Shots fired, by the way. Honestly, like, I knew Hickman sold out when, uh, you know, I realized that it was the same story for more than one issue. I realized that Hickman <laughs> sold out <laughs> when I was what? born. <laughs> when I was born? Yeah. I knew as soon as I came out, the doctor smacked my butt and my first words were, Jonathan Hackman. <laughs> <laughs> <God damn. laughs> 
<laughs> but yeah, we start uh, the issue catching up with future Franklin Richards from the first arc. And we are told that he is falling up through time. And as he does, he passes a couple scenes that we aren't familiar with yet. Uh, we see a young Val asking someone if they have a deal. Johnny uh, holding his hand up saying, you don't wish it any more than I do. And a close up of Dr. Doom's face while he proclaims, here I can build. Uh, so, you know, we get more prophecies and visions than you can say with the that. accent with an accent. Yeah. Oh, Latvarian. Uh, what is he? That, well, he'd be he's he's more like uh, like here I can build. I think. How's your doom? Here I can build. Oh, he's got like a thick thick. Yes, yes, he does. Yes, I am Victor Von Doom. I'm. G- yeah. You guys read him in an accent? Yes. I don't. I don't. Yeah, I, I, I read him as like a like a Shakespearean like bad guy. Yeah, because that's <laughs> isn't it like Eastern European. Yeah, he. I mean, he grew up like in the states a lot though. The here's the thing. They do this sometimes years in the States with comics or just text in general, where they will very deliberately write dialogue to be like, yes, I am the man yeah. from the place. An affected accent like like Ben Grimm does. It, ben. But but yeah, but Doom is always written like with my limited knowledge, always written in that like what you said, where he's like only Doom. So I guess because of that, to I've me, never he's read he's grown up Dexter from Dexter's lab. <laughs> and he's got an accent. That's fair. Doom's laboratory. Namor, get out of my laboratory. <laughs> is, is Reed uh, Mandark then? I was going to say, what if, he, yeah. what if Reed just sounds like so. Mandark? <laughs> he's like, I, this is the future foundation. <laughs> no, because... <laughs> I can stretch my arms. Because <laughs> Dexter was like an evil genius, but Mandark was like a super evil genius. <laughs> yeah. You know, I literally never thought about how funny it is that Dexter inexplicably has like an Einstein accent. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. That's really funny. It's how you know he's <laughs> smart, Max. Accent equals smart. I, I think very, very often about Amelie du Fromage. I, yeah. That's such a good episode. That that episode, in the same way that that one sentence gets stuck in my head, that whole episode's stuck in my head for fucking forever. God damn it. Omelet du Fromage. Remember the one where they had like Voltron robots to take down <laughs> yeah. that kaiju? Yeah. And then he had to wipe his parents' memories. Yeah, it's too like, dangerous. Save the world and stuff. Mm. They can never know. Too much of our hard drives are taken up by this. It's true. Yeah. We all recalled that way too fast. <laughs> our our minds are rotten. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But yeah, so Franklin lands in an all-white void where someone asks him if he succeeded. He says he did, and it turns out to be an older future version of Val, and uh, who just looks like Sue. Val tells Franklin he better be sure because their plan is dependent on it. This from- is like all these blonde people. It's like you just have to use context clues to figure I out do, who's who. Who's who? Yeah, yeah. What's the name <laughs> of the of the uh, space invaders power guy? The gravity power he can like squish their Alex. heads. Yeah, he and this is. I'm not trying to be mean, but this art the artists constantly draw Franklin looking like a 40 year old man, and <laughs> when that guy's like sitting down, be mean. He look like I don't know who it is. <laughs> If he's not tall, he's he's taller than that. I don't know he's who the it tall is. One. No, but but yeah, so uh, but yeah, another voice interrupts her and says, "Valeria, Franklin's played his part. Success or failure, we're committed now. From here we go onward and boldly. Fear and doubt are for others, my children, not Richards's." Then we see it's Nathaniel Richards, Reed's dad, and the kid's grandpa. Nathaniel doesn't waste time. He tells Val to go on to her mission and that she must remember, you know, what to say when she gets there because it's very important. They picked out specifically what to do. Uh, she tells him not to worry and, uh, you know, worry about his own mission, basically. But Nathaniel says uh, his isn't nearly as important as theirs, to which Val replies, no, you're wrong. Well, we're fixing the past. I think you just might fix the future. Goodbye, grandfather. Val goes off into a colorful void. 
and Franklin begins using his powers around this uh, nebulous white area, and he's creating grass and plants and turning the skies blue. And Nathaniel asks what Franklin is doing, and he tells his grandpa that he's going to try and build a self-sustaining pocket reality here for them to escape to if need be. Uh, Nathaniel's uneasy about this, tells Franklin that isn't how he should be spending his time, but Franklin says he is going to do it anyway because we have to try, right? And that's a callback to the first arc when young Franklin told Reed that he had to help, uh, you know, the clone Bentley and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, That's a recurring motif for Franklin, as we'll see going on. Uh, Nathaniel goes into a colorful void and turns out he travels back to time when Reed and Ben were in college, uh, State University, to be exact. This is also the same school where Reed and Victor Von Doom encountered one another. And we are introduced to a young, arrogant Doom and an optimistic, more naive Reed. Uh, Victor makes a smarmy asshole of himself in a class, and we follow young Reed after the interaction. Ben is walking, you know, with him to his dorm room, and uh, they say that they should go to a party or something this weekend. With Goyles. (laughs) 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 We're going to go see Goyles. We're going to see the Goyles. Johnny, let's go find some Goyles. You can imagine rolling up to a party and just being like, I hear there's girls here. <laughs> Where's all the beautiful Goyas? Hello, I'm here to see the boobs. I'm here to see the boobs. I also like that they're still in a 1940s college. Oh, yeah. 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 They got to keep that. Like they've stuck to the original timeline there. Oh, yeah. The, Mar- the Marvel that. Universe will forever start in 1962 or whatever. Yeah. Time moves slowly. Or something. Or it's a moving scale. I don't know. They do a scale weird thing now. Because I think they, they're always like, Captain America was... He got unthawed 10 years ago. (laughs) Like, they just say that no matter what now. Every every once in a while, you just reboot the universe. I think Magneto officially doesn't make sense anymore. He's had multiple bodies. Oh. Yeah, that that that. makes perfect sense, Brett. They keep that. I guess I didn't know he's had multiple bodies. Yeah. Wait, they're like, wait, if Captain America came out, does that mean the Holocaust was like 20 years ago in the Marvel Universe? (laughs) It's He's been frozen in a block of ice for 15 years. Yeah. It's like, Jesus. But yeah, but Nathaniel makes his appearance in the dorm room right at this moment, shocking both Reed and Ben. Uh, Reed hugs his dad and they immediately start catching up. And Reed is particularly intrigued by how his dad doesn't look like he has aged at all. And Nathaniel says that he hasn't and that something has happened. Uh, He goes on to explain that his problem at hand that he has and uh, he gives a bunch of exposition mumbo on his jumbo, backstory bro. yeah more mumbo jumbo but i was struck by lightning while holding a clock <laughs> <laughs> so, so now i have time powers <laughs> but uh basically when nathaniel left reed all those years ago it was to do crazy science work and at one point nathaniel tried to stop a guy who had a mechanical engine inside of him a quantum power source they ended up fighting the engine was damaged Nathaniel tried to stop it from blowing up, and he failed. Uh, When it exploded, Nathaniel says he became a conduit for the energy that was released, effectively making him long-lived, never-aged, possibly immortal. Uh, This also, and more importantly, gave Nathaniel a tenuous control over time, which he is, that's basically how he's able to, you know, time travel like he has been, and sending the games. Um, However... This incident caused every Nathaniel from any reality to be pulled into this reality, like ours, and it threw them all through time, and they land 600,000 years in the future. Uh, In that time, there's a famed Marvel villain and future version of Kang that rules the land called um, Immortus. Immortus. Is that not the wizard? No. He's the same face with the same goatee. They have have the same uh, facial hair, yeah. And the same hat. they They look like bad guys, you know. They look like 2002 dads. Oh, yeah. You're right. Like Godsmack fans. <laughs> <laughs> they all look at each other and like, I stand alone. They definitely have uh, no fear stickers on their back windshield. <laughs> Love a no fear sticker. 
and a tap out sticker. Yeah. A ta- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Affliction. Affliction T. A, uh, what was the like if they drive a Ford? It's like the little guy peeing on a Chevy logo. Yeah, right? I was they probably say got that. one of those two. That's badass. I love that. That's yeah. so bad. What about the Yosemite Sam mud flaps to say back off? <laughs> <laughs> you guys remember that shit? Yeah. On like a minivan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. So Immortus, um, you know, he's a he's a future version of Kang, who's already like a super future like crazy time villain. Kang um, is the conqueror. At least right. they don't got to worry about recasting this one. Am I right? True. Enough, true enough. Um, he orders for the time variance authority or TVA uh, to destroy them. Like all the Nathaniels as they are aberrations who threaten the timeline. Then since he's a bad boy, Immortus goes, actually I'll let one of you guys live, but you all have to decide which one. And thus began the hunger games of Nathaniel Richards's AKA what they refer to in the book as the great hunt. Every single one of them turned murderous and bloodthirsty except our Nathaniel, but it is now down to him and one other version so that his time is near, basically. Uh, is that what the Hunger Games is? I mean, I the mean, Hunger just, Games is like being forced to kill each it's other. It's battle royale, yeah. but less. Yeah, it's like you're all on the poor parts of the city, and if you want to come to the rich part, you got to be like the one person that survives. That's kind of fun. I watched the movies about a year ago. I was trying to see what the kids were into. and um, I remember that. You were getting into Twilight, too. I did that before. One year ago, yeah, dude, Chris, <laughs> that, was a, that was a joke. I got like, I got a text from Elena one morning that was like, I woke up at like four in the morning last night, and Nick was at the foot of the bed just intently watching Twilight. <laughs> They're fun. <laughs> They're fun. Have you ever movies. seen Battle Royale itself? I've seen Battle Royale. That yeah. shit rules. I saw that before. I saw the Hunger Games. I've never seen Hunger Games, but it kind of want to see the it. first well, one's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. My, my old roommate brought that home randomly one night and was like, you want to watch the Hunger Games? It's like, I mean, no, but there's nothing else going on. It was really weird. I think the first one was like pretty well done. I'd like to see it. Is there a weird like dog creature that chases them at the end of the first one? It's like a CG dog thing. That's all I remember. There's you like still, a maze runner, maybe. Nope. Never seen it. Yeah. There's never not like a, either. there's not like a monster there or anything like that. I don't know what I'm thinking of them <laughs> because the real monsters are us. Yeah, that's oh, it. Oh, shit. The you're real right. monsters. <laughs> bro, you're are, right. The real monsters are our tangents. That, yeah, <laughs> true. <laughs> so basically, before Nathaniel goes off to kind of meet his end and face that, uh, he wanted to come see his son one final time. And uh, Reed is like, <laughs> Dad, there's no way that I'm not going to help you. And Nathaniel says that's kind, but he won't put that burden on him. Plus, if he wanted Reed's help, he would have asked him when he was older. Uh, but Reed refuses to accept that and says he knows someone else who can help them all. Victor. Uh, cut in to Victor's lab. Uh, he keeps making Reed say, please. No, he didn't say Victor's name. And so I thought the whole time this was like a teacher because it doesn't look like an 18 year old. Oh, they're not 18. They're in like grad school or whatever. So 24. Yeah, sure. Um, but we saw him before. This is also 1960. So everyone ages like. That's true. They're like smoking, by the, smoking cigarettes. Yeah. So 25 might as well be 60. That's true. And see, but yeah, cut to uh, Victor's lab. Uh, he keeps making Reed say, please. And uh, he's a you know big old dick about getting help uh, for you see victor has a bunch of off the books weapons technology that could help reed and co uh victor agrees if only to satiate his own eagle and uh to be able to travel across time along with them uh, so he decks ben out in like this exosuit thing that makes him super strong everybody else grabs some weapons including a prototype doom helmet for victor and off they go back at the baxter building we see a uh, future valeria actually show up in the kitchen where sue is uh she's making tea and she arrives sue freaks out Val puts a force field around them and calls her mom. So Sue is like, where? And then the issue ends with our boys going into the future. They find the other remaining Nathaniel's fortress within the city of Chronopolis. They infiltrate it only to find him waiting. 
And as he hovers above them, he says, and now let the great hut come to a close. I got to say that the uh, prototype Dr. Doom helmet, it reminds me of MF Doom. Yeah, I was going to say MF Doom. And the um, the big daddy from the kick-ass movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, where it's like a more like come out like Batman Nicolas mask. Cage. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Nicolas Cage was like a, he was like the Batman yeah, ripoff. I saw, I saw it. Does he look like that in the comic book? Yeah, kind of. Okay. But yeah. The next issue picks up right there, and uh, the fight just begins. Uh, we even get a little flashback to this other Nathaniel uh, basically slaughtering the other versions. Uh, the evil Nathaniel unleashes the Anachronauts on our gang at one point, which is a, a neat reference. Uh, it, like, Okay, so Kang and Immortus, those stories like in the Avengers stories and stuff, they frequently employ the help of a team called that. This version looks pretty different from any other iteration I've seen, but it's still fun. It just means like he's always using a team and using that name or whatever. And it's like, oh, you know, whatever. They're like weird lizard people. Yeah, this stuff. was all this was like I was at the point where I was like, OK, this is all like nonsense and I don't need to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. At one point, even Nathaniel gets Nathaniel on the ground, but Doom intercepts the killing blow, trying to mind control him. Uh, it only works for a second. And then he intercepts or incapacitates Victor. Uh, ben tries to jump in but is also injured. Uh, Reed shoots evil Nathaniel's hand off at that point, but is then incapacitated after playing to Reed's emotions. Uh, he walks over to Nathaniel, who tells him to go to hell. Then Victor gets evil Nathaniel from behind. Uh, Victor then prompts Nathaniel to end it by killing the bad one, but Nathaniel refuses. He's like, I'm not a murderer, you know, but tells Victor to do what he must. Victor takes no time, bashes evil Nathaniel's head in, saying that they can now leave this place. And he tells Reed, but I want you to remember, Richards. You're remember. a pussy. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I want you to remember, Richards. Remember what happened here. Remember who saved you. Remember who set you free. Remember Doom. And Dude, sure <laughs> Dr. Doom was so fucking hard in this shit. He was just like, he's like little guy with a giant head. Pop your head off. Yeah. <laughs> then he was like, I'm going to fucking smash he, this He does head. like slaughter all of the Anachronauts like on his own. Like, yeah, instantly. it was dope as hell. Like, it was like, a- I think Dr. Doom. I think I said this before. I don't know anything about him, but he's the coolest. You know everything about him. You know exactly what he is. Yeah, he's, he's awesome. so fucking cool. More. He's the coolest, yeah. He's got magic. He's got science. Chris and Chris and I talked about this on the uh, Triumph and Torment episode. If you've played time. Marvel versus Capcom, you know what he is. He yeah. floats with his arms crossed. and shoots I, That uh, was the Doctor Strange. Yeah, Doctor Strange team Doctor up, Doom. right? Yep. By yeah. Mike Magnolia. He drew it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was good stuff. That's yeah, really I, good uh, stuff. I... And our most played episode. Weirdly enough, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, well, shortly after, uh, we see Reed and Nathaniel back in his dorm room. Uh, ben is a little banged up, but he will be okay. Nathaniel says that he has to go now, as he has a commitment to keep. Uh, they share a hug, and Reed asks if uh, you know it's all over and if they will you know see him again soon. Nathaniel jumps back through time as he tells his son that he hopes so and that there is always hope, uh, which is was Reed's password for his thinking shed that we talked about in the last episode too. Mm-hmm. That says fuck off of thinking. Yeah. <laughs> for his beaten shed. His beaten shed. <laughs> That's across the hall. That's a different shed. <laughs> they're he, but he they're would, in the he, same hallway. He would have a different it's one. It's directly across the hall. <laughs> he stands at the end and he's like, hmm. <laughs> or like, one do I go or into? he yeah. comes out of the thinking shed and, and like Sue's there and she's like, hey, and he's like, mm. he's like, five, <laughs> across the beaten this shed. Is, yes, he goes, uh, five minutes. This is like that It's Always Sunny episode, though, where they have the, uh, they're trying to figure out what to put on the bathrooms mm-hmm. and they're like, no okay like at one point they're like no this one's for piss this one's for shit and then and then they're like and then they're like but which one of you would would actually use the shit room and they're like i would poop immediately in the pee room because i don't want people to know i'm doing that like or whatever and like so it's like he would always beat in the thinking shed because he doesn't uh-huh. want to go to the beaten one and people will know he's beaten that's very uh reed richards level of thinking there and then he's like and always think one I'm- step ahead <laughs> 
Then he's like, Sue will think I'm saving myself for her. Hmm. She'll be wondering what I'm doing in there all that time thinking when really I'm just jerking off. <laughs> Reed's just a dude. Like, he's just a regular ass dude. He's not that smart. He's I hope this like thinking cave, he's got like, he's got like a Coors Light neon sign, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. like a Pac-Man arcade machine. Well, I want to see like a meme edit of when he, remember when he was in the room and he, and he said, he told the computer to erase the walls and uh-huh. like all the, all the <laughs> but it's like, it's just like a big Mountain Dew logo or some yeah. shit. So you're going to say the wall, the wall's nothing but porn and smut. Oh. Like, erase everything. <laughs> Clear all history. <laughs> Save it to my drive, though. Got a fucking Yamaha fucking sign. <laughs> Someone yeah. draw this. Yeah. <laughs> no, we uh, cut back to Sue and Valeria. Valeria tells Sue that her and Franklin didn't like how things turned out. So Franklin came back to prepare their younger selves. Uh, Sue then asks why Val is here now then. Then back into collapsed space time, Nathaniel meets up with Franklin after doing what he just did. And Franklin has created like, you know, kind of like an entire forest around them at this point because he's still trying to, you know, create that pocket reality. Uh, Franklin asks if Nathaniel succeeded. Nathaniel says yes. Franklin. Real quick. They're going back in time to prepare their younger selves. When they go back in time, aren't they going back in time to a different reality? They're in collapsed time space because everything's like fucked up. Kind of like you remember in the bridge story when things kept like, you know, intersecting, like, all the different realities and stuff. Yeah. So, like, it's, like, that's the thing. They're in, like, this time where that's happening. Like, they're just kind of independent. Like, not separated, but, like, that's where time is heading. Like, to where everything's clashed together. Or it's post that. I mean, they are in, like, a white nebulous But when, he, when they go back in time, they're going back to a universe that is correct. Yeah. Yeah, because it hasn't done that yet, you know? Like, so are they just going back to a random universe? I think you've got to think of it as, like, you've got to, like... I turn off the part of like time travel that's anything you do immediately affects because they're like separating themselves from the timeline. Well, and I think that since they are the ones that are from like this prime, you know, universe we read stories in, like that's how Nathaniel's time powers would work anyway. He'd go back to his own time, you know, or send them to like their own time. Like, I don't know. That's me, you know, making shit up. Obviously, then does it, but like, I mean, that's how I would justify But then it. the loops already happened. Then they're already prepared. Well, we haven't really seen the loop yet, like to the full. We fullest do extent. because he's an adult there right now. Yeah, but I'm saying like we haven't seen the full result of like it, everything. So yet. then it's a different universe. Well, it could it could also be that narratively we're just not seeing it completely yet. Because I I kind of had the suspicion earlier when uh younger older fuck what's his name Franklin Franklin when he shows up I was like okay I bet a lot of the stuff that's happened that we're like what the fuck is this. I bet a lot of it, especially when it's someone like popping in from whatever is from the future or they're we're, we're doing some time fuckery here and not all of it's being told to us like in order necessarily. That's true. I, I feel like up to this point, they have been so, so specific and rule heavy on their sci fi. And now it feels like with this time travel thing, it's like, don't think about it. Yeah. Well, he hasn't. I mean, again, he hasn't really explained it yet. You know, like, I mean, like this aspect of the story is far from over too. the other thing, too, is I'm not I don't get caught up on details or the specifics of time travel. If the point of the story is just to tell a good story, I can let that shit go. If the point of the story is to tell a convincing, tight time travel narrative, then I. Yeah. So I I just. Yeah, I'm thinking of it because it's also a multiversal narrative. So how does the time travel and the multiverse thing work together? Is he going back in time to his same universe, talking to literally himself as a kid? Mm-hmm. Then I, that, I think he is. Then yeah. does that immediately affect him in his? I don't think it does. 
It's it's more like the the laws of like kind of like the in game shit where they were like it doesn't work that way. Time is like a, a line. They're like you know your your past can't change because your past is your past. Like but you can affect this past you know or whatever think and of it, like, it fragments breath. off yeah. into a new like, timeline like, yeah think of it you're going this way right and then that path never stops but when this franklin goes back and talks he's creating a new branch yeah right yeah i yeah. get that yeah i think that's more what they're going with but but yeah again we haven't seen like the last of like this story yet you know so that's the thing too is i'm not i'm waiting until the very end of this entire thing before i like start analyzing this the no, rules it's, of it's, it or, it's fair to do so though i th- like i mean yeah you know, yeah that i guess for me then that's something i'm not worried about until the end when, yeah. once it's done i can be like all right let's look at the structure of this i don't know yeah whatever yeah. We'll <laughs> oh probably, i'm not going back oh my god oh we'll have you, a big we're, recap we're episode. did we talk about yet Franklin being mean to old grandpa. Yeah, so so, <laughs> so basically what Franklin asks if Nathaniel succeeded. Nathaniel says yes. Franklin immediately drops him into a nebulous white hole after nullifying his powers. I didn't like that. Yeah, Nathaniel says he doesn't understand what Franklin is doing. And Franklin says something significant was gained today. Val and I would rather it not be wasted. Val, meanwhile, tells Sue to listen to what she has to say and warns her that what she is about to tell her is unavoidable. It cannot be stopped. It's already happened. And Sue just has to accept that and listen. And Sue says that she can try to do that. And Val says, after the last war, when all reality has collapsed into a single time stream and the heat death of everything is imminent, there is a white space where your son sits waiting for the new future we have created to overtake him. There, post-collapse, he acts as an anchor for the changes he has made. And when I return to him, I will serve that very same function regarding mine. We cement the new future we have created with sacrifice. Mother, Franklin, and I will die doing this. And then back with Franklin, he tells Nathaniel that he needs to jump down and he will turn his powers back on so that he can transport to a time in the past before the revision wave hits and possibly kills him. Nathaniel argues that he may, you know, be able to withstand it and he wants to remain there with Franklin. But Franklin says that there's no guarantee that will work and he has faith that his grandpa will find a way. So So kicking him in the hole, he's not saying die. He's like. Go home. Yeah. Okay. He's telling him to leave. Uh, but yeah, so Sue gets frustrated with Val saying that she is just like her father, thinking that she could solve everything. But Val reveals this was all Franklin's idea, actually. And back with Franklin, he tells his grandpa, the plan has to go this way. Uh, for when Nathaniel left Reed as a young man and every other Nathaniel Richards was eliminated, it made Reed an orphan in literally every reality. <laughs> and uh, he says that that's what's wrong with Reed. And he ends the conversation by saying, don't you understand? Every boy deserves a father, especially mine. I love you, grandpa. And he kicks his grandpa into the white oblivion. And all I can think is, oh, man, dad stuff. They're aiming for my heartstrings. <laughs> Doesn't his dad, though, his particular dad still have a dad? He's the one Reed Richards with a dad. Yeah, but he's been gone this whole time doing this time travel. Show. Yeah, remember, he right. says like he's like in the last one, he's like, son, I'm going to go for a while. And I think he never saw <laughs> he's him like, again. And if you ever need me, <laughs> I might come. Maybe. So, yeah, <laughs> one day. I don't think though, he ever showed up again. Even though he's going to an unspecified time way in the future and could easily come back to his teenage son. He's like, I don't know. He's got to do this stuff. <laughs> I've been doing this for 100 years. He's, he's like, like, I got to wear this goofy plan. ass suit. And, you know, well, who knows? Maybe at the end of the story, that'll be remedied, Brad. You never Maybe. know. OK, but uh, yeah, back with Val. Uh, she says that, you know, time's almost up and Sue begs her not to go through with this, whatever it may be. But Val again says it's already done. And she gives her one last piece of knowledge. She says coming days are going to be dark, dark and full of loss. It will feel like everything is going to break apart, that it will shatter and everything will end. Only you can hold us together. Can you be strong, mother? Stronger than you've ever been before. There will be a moment when you're going to want to give up. You're going to want to let go. When you reach that point, look into the sky, look up and remember the price that was paid. And the world around Val goes white. The panels dissipate due to the power of time. 
some eerie foreshadowing there. I think that's pretty good stuff and a really cool sequential scene here with that uh, was cool with the bit. fading panels and stuff. I think that's cool. Yeah, I like that. I like I'm how a, it goes down to pencil sketch. Yeah, yeah. And then like it comes back and it's just the dialogue for like faintly. For I'm guessing second. we're going to see all of this later on. It'll be revealed. Yeah, <laughs> I bet cool. the artist loved that part. That part was cool. He was like, because <laughs> he got to draw two quarters of it. <laughs> yeah, he got to take easiest, the rest of the day easiest off. Easiest two pages I ever did. <laughs> they paid me the same rate. I charged full price. <laughs> I'm leaving he after was, lunch. He got was, got two dollars for this page, like I did every single other one. <laughs> he was crash more. He's like, he's like, legally they have to pay me for those pages. That's the same rate. <laughs> Val uh, lands back with Franklin, but something is wrong. Uh, he tells her that the new future is still far away, and the pressure is uh, collapsing everything around them. Am I uh, dumb? Are we? We're not supposed to know what the new future is yet, right? No, okay, no, we don't know. Uh, we know that they did something, and something is happening <laughs> at the end of collapse space time. And they're like, we don't know what to do. You know, like mm-hmm. it's a, they they did something and changed something, but yeah, we don't know exactly what yet. But uh, Val says it's okay, and that you know. Franklin tried his best. They go through a few options, but it's relevant that there is no surefire way for them to make it out of this. Uh, But Val says they have to try, right? And Franklin agrees. Uh, They hold hands as this like revision wave they call comes closer. What's this artist's name? This one is uh, uh, Neil. Neil. That's good enough. Neil. Yeah. Neil, I've been hard on you. You have been. Neil. I like these panels a lot. I like the colors. I love the time crashing around them. It is really cool. Yeah. he, he, He definitely excels at stuff like this. I think... The only issue I have with the art here is that like the faces on men all look like they're like 50. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of hard to tell ages. Yeah. But the children the, look like they're Hillary Clinton. Yeah, we, we know. We know. But for the, <laughs> This art has been really hashtag good. Hashtag Hillary Clinton. <laughs> but, but uh, hashtag Pokemon go to the polls. Yeah. Hashtag, hashtag heel dog. But yeah, like I, I yeah. And I, I think this is actually his last issue on the series. Basically, the two, they hold hands as the revision wave comes closer. Franklin tells her to follow him and that they are going to jump right in. And Val tells him, hey, just so you know, you've always been my favorite hero. To which Franklin says, well, mine's still the human torch. And the issue and this arc then end with the siblings jumping into the unknown at the end of their universe. And uh, how are we feeling about the uh, the future kids? Uh, these two issues go a long way, I think, in their development. There's a lot to chew on. And obviously, like, there's still stuff to be answered. But there's a lot of development. Yeah, but it's all still so vague and cryptic. It's It's less cryptic and more just I'm saying very specific things that you have no way of knowing. To where I'm just like, I guess there's no point even thinking about any of this because I have I have nothing to go on. But then later on when they reveal it, you can be like, oh, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, you just got to <laughs> wait for the reveal. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I liked this as like kind of almost like a half reveal of just realizing like because we knew that we had old Franklin. We didn't know if we had old Valeria till these two issues. And then like the fact that they are still they, they wax and wane so much in these two issues of like, holy fuck is like, are they fucking like evil or something? Like, yeah. you know, and it's like now at the end, you're like, no, they're they're still them, you know, and like and it's like, OK, like but let's they're see. kind of like they're kind of like read in that first part where it was like the hubris also a little bit. Like, yeah. I mean, like you can definitely infer that, I think, a bit like they. Yeah. A lot of layers, I think, yeah. to their characters, which I, I don't know. I just find it interesting. Perhaps a little too much doom. Maybe. Could be. You never know. But yeah, uh, we then jump to the next arc, which is called Three, which is not ominous at all in this Fantastic Four book. Uh, but this arc starts 
with the four trying to quell a situation in the neutral zone outside of the forever city, which is the city that, uh, you know, the evolution city that we talked Why about. Why is there a neutral zone outside? Oh, wait, I was thinking of the negative zone. No, yeah, neutral zone, just like, you know. In yeah, terms it's of, like right outside the city. Yeah, yeah like a new war <laughs> zone. How often but, does a series change artists in the middle? Um, I mean, like, they usually do it by, like, arcs. So, like, one guy will do, like, you know, five issues next person will do five issues is there a reason just to keep it fresh or yeah i mean like you know because they're hired on to do certain books and stuff and i mean a lot of them like for they don't want to pay anyone too much well for ongoing series like this i mean that just ostensibly go forever they're like you know like yeah we're not going to be like oh as long as this guy's here like i mean there are certain like creators you know writers or even artists like who can pick who they want to work with and have them be on the book as long as they want but like yeah when you're in the this is the big business of monthly superhero comics they're just like we need people to get it done and you got to do it months in advance. So it's like, is you it, know, they just have an army of people going all the time. <laughs> is it, is it, is it like a contract? Like, is it like a gig economy type of deal where they're, or do they sign contracts where they're just like, you are sketch, you will sign on for four issues with the option for us to extend it if we like your work. Yeah. there. I mean, yeah. Like, and some of them have exclusivity contracts and stuff like to certain companies and they do like, just, you know, they're like a lot of the time it won't be like, you know, oh, four issues of this series. It'll be like, uh, it'll be like, all right, well, we're going to pay you this um, uh, and you owe us, um, you know, 20 issues this year mm-hmm. in like whatever it works out and whatever you get assigned on being or, or pitch. And, and that get. makes me kind of think about like, I was, I was considering it the other night that I, I haven't kept up with Saga since the, the return because I'm kind of just like at this point, I'm, I'm going to wait for it to finish at issue 112 or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but like the fact that it's been, it's such a long running series. First of all, it's crazy. It's so many issues for one straight story, but that Fiona Apple has been drawing the whole thing. Fiona Staples. Fiona Staples. Fiona yeah. Apple's like I was a pop gonna, star. Yeah. She's a singer. Yeah. yeah. Um, similar names, Fiona Apple and Staple. It's the same first one. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but that's, that's kind of amazing to have like these two, the writer and the artist together for what, like 75 issues at this point, probably. Yeah. And I mean, but that's partially too, why it's so less frequent. I mean, like, yeah, it's creator owned. And I do love the idea of like, you know, especially when you get two people who work really well together, working together for a long stint, but that inevitably means like, all right, you're going to get an arc and then you're going to have to wait six months for the next mm-hmm. one to start. You know I mean? Like it's just how it has to be, but you know, it's a give and take thing. But well, and I mean, that's why also fucking manga so, so deadly Yeah, yeah. is because so many of the writers draw their own stuff and, you know, they have apprentices and assistants who will draw the buildings and stuff, but yeah. they just do it and go, 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 go. Yeah. Then you then die. They, yeah. Then they die. <laughs> die at 32. Die like, at 32. I don't know. I got to just say at the beginning of this arc, you know, with the opening of them, you know, battling at the forever city, I just want to mention real quick, uh, Steve Epting is definitely a force in this book. I like I, the heavily shadow. Is that the artist focused yeah. art style? I very much like Steve Epting. I think he's really great. Uh, Brett, I actually know that you were sort of on the fence when we've talked about him in the past. What else have I seen that he's done? You knew him from the Brubaker Captain America. Oh, yeah. Um, which yeah, you, I see that. Which you said you liked the art, but you thought it was just too dark. Like it was yeah. uh, like a bit too. Uh, I don't know. I think you you had something with the the modern coloring kind of thing, but this is this is that guy doing Fantastic Four for this. Yeah, arc. yeah. Dude, I would. It's very it, very heavily shaded. Yeah, I like, I like that style. I think it works so well. Like especially in the Captain America is it a stuff. Different he's guy in the second it, issue. It's a look. Yeah. What was that? I'm sorry. Is it a different guy in the second issue doing the art? No, Steve Epting does the five issues. Oh, okay. until the last one. 
Parts of the second issue look a little different because I was going to say that in the second issue, there's stuff that I really like in there art wise. Yeah, that's that's okay. all. That's all. Him. Same guy. But yeah, I didn't like the way this guy draws Johnny Storm. Johnny Storm looks too much like a like a salesman in the 40s. I got good news <laughs> for you. you want- <laughs> oh, I don't have to worry oh, about no. it. You don't have to worry about that design much longer. Oh, no. Uh, I like Johnny with like a little bit longer hair, like a little shaggy. Yeah, uh, like a yeah. like a singular ponytail at the back. <laughs> That's why yeah. I I, I, had, I must have forgotten that the artist changed. And I was like, why the fuck does Johnny Storm look like this now? No, yeah, yeah. I mean, it is an artist change. But yeah, so yeah, we get Steve Efting for this arc basically until the last issue. Uh, yeah, so like I said, they're at the Forever City. Long story short, the Forever City's evolutionary engine was overloading, threatening the entire planet. And the four like fight their way in and they neutralize the problem by having Johnny nuke it under a, a Sioux force field, basically. That's badass. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, Ben's suit like broke off while they were in there. So he is once again a weird ape looking Ben that we talked about on the last episode. We talked about this a lot and I still I don't understand why how big head signifies ape. Well, it also doesn't make sense. He's not different at all, except he's got a big head. Apes don't have the moloids. That's how rock apes look, though. I think that's what you said last time, Brett. Too. Let it go. <laughs> think about this, Brett. I don't think you're ever going to get answers. The- That'd be like if if we were evolved further, our heads would get bigger. That'd be cool. The moloids yeah, that would be cool. The de de evolving <laughs> turned them into humans, but the children moloids didn't turn back into humans, even though they, they were in like, the city. They looked like moloids, and they became smarter. It's stupid. Why did they also turn into humans if they were? Because it was all fucked up. Like you're it, all it fucked like, up. Like oh, no, I mean, like they, they literally say that in the last arc. They're like, they're like, we don't know what this is doing. Yeah. <laughs> like, like it's not doing what it's supposed to do, like at all. And uh, but yeah, back at the Baxter Building, Val goes, you know, secret agent breaks into her dad's lab. She finds his AI work log, which starts spouting off entries from Reed's experiments. Uh, it's here that she finds out all about the bridge, the Council of Reeds. All of that shit. I did not notice there's that Galactus hand. Yeah. Or that celestial hand in the back. That's cool. Uh-huh. Yeah, because it because it got cut off by the bridge when yeah, it came he's, through. He's, you can see he's like taking it apart and like checking it out. That's yeah, cool. Yeah. Okay. And so like that's a crazy moment for me too. Val is slowly becoming this like enigma where you don't know like what her motivations are. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and it, this goes a long way. I remember like that reveal because you kind of figure with something like that. Like there would be this big moment where they're all like at a family dinner or something. And it comes out that there's a shit ton of reads on a council or whatever. And mm-hmm. it's a big drama thing. But it's like, no, just his daughter found out. And now it's like she's cryptically keeping it from everyone still. And it's like it's yeah, it's very strange. But we then cut to Latveria, Castle Doom, to be precise. And uh, Doom sits with his faithful servant, Boris. Uh, recalling a recent incident that left him stripped of much of his intelligence. This, you have your hand raised, Max. I'm going to tell you. Um, this, uh, <laughs> this happened uh, right before this story started. This actually, so I've, I think in Hickman in an old interview, he said that this actually was not part of the plan, but since it happened in another book, he had to deal with it. They shouldn't have uh, done that. So um, there was an event called Fall of the Hulks. And uh, in that event, this evil group, um, which is usually like a, a, you know, a think tank that's trying to like, kill the Hulk because they're like led by like the leader and stuff. But it's a group called the Intelligentsia. And they were like, they had a big plan where they were siphoning like smarts from smart boys in that story. Classic leader. Yeah. Plan. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and Doom was one of the smart boys and uh, he has suffered brain damage because of it. And uh, he's discussing options for him to regain his former glory when Val transports in via teleporter. And I just have to say, I really love their interaction here. I love the way that they talk to each other. They're they're uh, a great they're a great pairing. Can yeah. I ask? Nick, it's it's too cute. Whose whose glasses man is that? Bruce Banner. Yeah, yeah, I believe okay. that that's Bruce in that one because he gets sapped in that one too. 
They should have. Okay, I'm gonna complain. They should have put that issue in this Omni or something. Oh, the the fall of the Hulks. Yeah, yeah, because showing Doctor Doom and then showing him having something I've that with Reed was so. I, I flipped back and forth like four times and I was like, am I stupid? What am I missing? No. Um, so I, I will say something I haven't told you guys is the fact that we've been reading the digital omnibus, uh, which does not have the notations. The issues have the notations. And really? Yes, yes. Okay. They do. And a lot of time in like the regular trade paperbacks, they also have that as well. See, oh, incredible will, Hulk yeah. number 62. Yeah. They usually do retract my complaint. Yeah. But, you know, we're reading the omnibus. So it's like it's like you're supposed to be a smart boy, but, you know, it's okay. They're like, you they spent assume, $150 on this. You better fucking know what it's yeah, about. Yeah, they, they I'll, hold your, I'll hold your hand, Maxie. They assume if you're <laughs> dropping 100 bucks on a hardback <laughs> Fantastic a, Four Omnibus, you probably know your shit. That's a big ass. That's got to be like your second biggest one. I like the idea that they take out the and notations in an omnibus and they're like you know this shit yeah <laughs> why else would they buy it doom though like i said I, I love their interactions doom immediately is like young lady this is rude does your dad even know you're here and uh val says that you know he's here because of her dad to which doom immediately asks and what has he done now <laughs> which i really liked but uh, Dude, i even just i was like sitting like doom you know, he's like hunched over and he's like got his fingers steepled. And I was like, he's so fucking cool. Are there, <laughs> he's the coolest. are there any good, even if it's like just an issued stories of the two of them just hanging out oh, yeah. on an adventure? We're going to get more of that okay. later on. I'm looking forward <laughs> but, to that. But yeah, she, I, I kept thinking about what I like about it. And I think it's that the idea of a precocious little kid kind of taking off his, some of his edge, making him a bit more. He cares about uh, her. He, yeah. He, yeah like, like, he cares. It's humanizing. So it's, uh, it's cute. What's the minions, but the movie that they're from. Despicable me. me. Just, it's despicable. <laughs> me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, she tells him that she found out about Reed's bridge machine. And then she asked herself, what would uncle doom do? Uh, we then get a silent sequence of pages where Val actually went to the council headquarters, saw all the dead bodies, found the dungeon full of Pokemon dooms, and uh, <laughs> who like startle her. Um, but then she's like kind of like she like backs away and then she's uh, saved or found by a bunch of the remaining reeds that are there. Uh, they try to run Val to a transporter, but many are killed by the still mad celestials that are like that war is still raging, apparently. Uh, and, well, I, uh, I like to think of it as my my interpretation was they were hiding inside. And because oh, and Val showed out. up. Yeah. They were like, there's activity. Uh huh. Yeah. But yeah, so a few get to a bridge, like with Val, and they seem to discuss spots to go on our Earth, but then uh, we just see Val back home. We don't see the result of that yet. Doom asks, like, what she learned, and she says that her dad made the wrong choice. And she asks Doom how her father could be so selfish. And Doom gives a great line saying, This day I am the wrong man to ask sex questions. And uh, he asks her why she came to him, and she says, All hope lies in Doom. Remember that prophecy thing Mm -hmm. um, that Franklin told her and Doom says, excuse me. And Val says uh, she came because her dad is going to need his help. And uh, we cut to later that day and uh, the Fantastic Four come back home. Franklin, Artie and Leech uh, think that Ben looks funny as a, you know, big ape man guy. And uh, Reed asks Val if anything exciting happened. And we get the reminder of her conversation with Doom or the remainder of her conversation with Doom. Sorry. Who asks why he would help her dad. And uh, she says she could see that he has brain damage, which is a bit harsh. <laughs> funny, just like she does explain it. She's like, you have a trimmer in your head. Like it's a, it's a real like, you know, analytical it's a Sherlock thing. Holmes, but like, it's funny just to be like, you got brain damage, don't you? Like, you know, like, donkey brains. Yeah, you got donkey brains. <laughs> like, but she says that she will help him restore his intelligence if he helps her dad. Uh, she then asks if they have a deal. Like when we saw Franklin, you know, when he fell through time, that was one of the scenes we saw. So. Doom says that they do have a deal. And the I issue- love it. He crouches down and shakes her hand. Yeah. 
<laughs> I love <Exactly>. the best. <laughs> but yeah, and the issue ends with Val telling Reed that nothing crazy happened. That little liar. That little fucking... <laughs> but wait, there's actually an epilogue on this issue. Our boy Norn Red, yeah. the Silver Surfer. I was like... he's shown floating in a dark space and the panels zoom out as the narration reads it was a subconscious almost involuntary need that brought norinrad the silver surfer to this place something familiar tickling the edge of his mind pulling him off center in a way like a second center of the universe pulling him here deep beneath the ground to something buried in the earth something so unthinkable that when he finally can speak only a single word escapes his lips unacceptable let it be known Raising the fucking horns. <laughs> <laughs> and we turn the page to reveal that Norrin has found the dead body of Galactus that Reed buried. And the narration concludes by saying, and with that word, the world trembled and rightly so. That's that, such a great fucking way to end an issue. Like That I, really surprised me because I I'd kind of taken the, uh, like a lot of stuff with this is just like set dressing. Just like, here's like kind of like a cool thing to, you know, just think about that. That's yeah. cool. But then they're like, guess what? They're like, this is Fantastic Four fucking Silver Surfer shows up. Like, you know, it's like, it's, yeah, I'd, I, I'd really love that little ending coda to that issue. It gets me hyped. That, we're, we're in such a hype phase of this book where like things are starting to come together. That's bit, what I mean. Know? Like, this, it's like, <laughs> that full page is just cool looking too. Him he, with the dead is, head and stuff. Yeah. It's, well, just like the, the scale of Galactus, usually we see him from above or. Floating in space. Floating in space or something. Like a shot looking down and then having a human-sized figure for scale. Yes. Spoilers for later, but when Galactus is there next to the Baxter building and like they pull away really far, I was like, he's kind of actually kind of small. Right. He can Uh, can change his size and stuff like it, you know. Oh, I didn't (laughs) didn't know that. Nick, is Galactus a celestial... No, he's just he's just like an alien. He's just an asshole. He's what he's the oldest being in our universe. Is he the Big Bang? He survived the Big Bang. Whoa, that's his whole thing. That's pretty hard. Yeah, that was a Tuesday for him. Kids say kids kids would nowadays they would say that's raw. (laughs) God damn it. Are we on to a new word already? Yeah, you say that's like you'd say Galactus is the rawest Marvel villain. Fuck. (laughs) Our next issue in this arc starts off with Ben looking in the mirror, uh, still showing the effects of the Forever City's radiation. He finally turns back into his normal rocky self and gets ready for the day. Uh, Important to note for later, timestamp at the beginning says day one. Uh, we see Ben go to the kitchen while everybody is having breakfast. The Moloids ask if the Ben wants some cereal, which is adorable. On the TV, they're playing the Iron Man game. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> they had the rights to that. They could draw that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Isn't copyright fun? Yeah. <laughs> but Ben asks Johnny uh, where Reed is, but it seems that he is seeing her off with the kids because she has an important meeting to attend. Uh, ben then tells Johnny to come with him and help him with something. Uh, we see Reed and the kids telling Sue goodbye. Reed is like, you sure you don't want me to come? But Sue is like, she can handle a meeting between royals just fine. And, uh, cause she wants that name or Dirk. And, uh, but yeah, she, she takes the fantastic car and heads out basically back at the Baxter building. Ben and Johnny watch. Uh, okay. I, I apologize just real quick. Yeah. Her taking the fantastic car out alone for some reason looks like, like me when I go to get takeout for dinner or something. It's like, just be back real quick. It's going to take a real quick trip. All right. That car's so fucking stupid. Like, well, when, when you car? it's so silly. It breaks into four parts, Max. <laughs> okay. That's, cool. that's what I mean is her in there alone. And then you can see the, I was going to say you, Brett, you're going to fucking be silent on this shit. No, I, like, I was like, I know you don't like that book, but fuck. I know you defended the, the fantastic car, but <laughs> taking the that's a brilliant concept. It breaks into four. Out. At the end of like issue two, there's like this schematic Jack Kirby drew of like how it works or whatever. <laughs> that was where Christopher Nolan got the idea for the the motorcycle part of the tumbler in the Dark Knight. 
No, it's not. It all started with enough. the Fantastic Car. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, have you seen the Fantastic Car? <laughs> But yeah, so back at the Baxter building, Ben has Johnny uh, watching so he can grab uh, Reed if something goes wrong because he plans to take the formula that the Future Foundation cooked up for him. Uh, Johnny says basically what Ben said when he heard about it. He's like, you're really going to take what a bunch of kids made? And he even says something like, do you know what I was doing at their age? And Ben tells him like the same stuff as now. And Johnny's like, fair. okay, (laughs) yeah. But so Ben takes formula and it works. Dude, that Uh, panel of him going and all cracking off him is so cool. It is awesome. It's such yeah. a good drawing. <laughs> yeah, but like Johnny does the uh the gag that he does in the movie, uh, where he pretends to be frightened by Ben's normal face, which upsets Ben, obviously. But Johnny is a real friend right after, and uh, he tells Ben that they should go out and do whatever he hasn't been able to do, like as a rock man, you know? And uh Ben is like hang out with <laughs> Captain America and Hawkeye. Well, they just did they go to a poker game at the end of the night. Yeah. I mean it's fun. really funny to me that the That's the stuff you've been doing. That he does that, yeah. But it's more like he gets to go out and like people aren't staring at him and like, you know, being all weird and shit. Yeah, uninhibited. Yeah. Yeah, it's so funny. He feels invisible, like for once, you know? He's like a normal schmuck. The superheroes are all in their costumes. Oh, yeah. Well, you got to know who they are. But yeah, uh, Ben, you know, is hesitant, but he says that that does sound nice. And Johnny says that this will be the best night he has had in forever. So they do just that. Like, they go out walking and nobody stares at Ben. They go to a Giants game, have a few bears. Uh, They have dinner with, you know, old friends who are drawn as Stanley and Jack Kirby. Uh, They go to play poker with the superhero group. Hell, they even get into a tussle with the Yancey Street gang. This is where it's at. (laughs) This shit was (laughs) on the way to Johnny's car. I love this. Themed gang villains. Dude, the the (laughs) uber fucking detailed, like... Businessman speak for ching, I'm gonna ching boys. Give How me would your... you feel about a low yield, high commission investment opportunity? <laughs> That's fucking great. They could probably sing too. <laughs> yeah, they have to. <laughs> yeah, great sequence of events. Just watching these two guys kind of hang out. It's very heartwarming stuff that the Fantastic Four it tend to just do so well. They like the characters lend themselves to this kind of stuff. And uh, we see Sue arrive at Utopia where she is greeted by dignitaries Scott Summers and Emma Frost, Cyclops and Emma Frost. And uh, I forgot about Utopia. Like I said, this was a few islands ago for the X-Men. But uh, Nick, why do they got so many islands? You know, they, like the they keep trying. I like the design in Cyclops costume. Yeah. Yeah. This was a this was a cool era, at least in terms of like the designs and stuff. This was like Kieran Gillen and uh, Matt Fraction's X-Men. Was this stuff. Uh, like Avengers versus X-Men era? Right before. Yeah. All right. I just want to reiterate Cyclops, like as a character, I don't. I don't know much about him outside of the cartoon in the movies, but the visual language of Cyclops that is usually consistent and like the concept of he's just got eye blasts. Mm -hmm. It's like my favorite thing. It is cool. He's so cool. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Sue basically talks about how a certain dignitary was insisting that she join his (sighs) royal caravan to the meeting with the other Atlantis people. Of course, it's Namor who says he will gladly wait an eternity for Sue. And he believes that they are going to, you know, bang on this trip. Okay. I had. He ain't hiding it at all. Nick, remind me. (laughs) God damn it. Okay. You remind me. Max, would you like to make a joke? Yeah. I said Namor is desperate for that fantastic coochie. (laughs) (laughs) Why is he got that that invisibussy? I was also thinking fantastic coochie. I I do have have to ask though, because Namor's got an X on his belt. Yeah. I was part of the X Men for a while. This is when he was chilling with the X Men. Yeah. Shit. I said, I might have to read that. Oh, you're you're a mutant. Yeah. And he went, okay. And he went, oh, I guess he's the first canonical mutant. Yeah. Did Beast what was about, like uh, Beast was like my friend named Apocalypse in in continuity yeah but I mean like it actually featured in Marvel comics he's the first canonical mutant at that point what if his only mutation oh, was his little his little wingies on his feet uh, kind of is a mutation yeah but no that was it 
<laughs> yeah. They don't work or nothing. <laughs> they, don't, they, don't do nothing. <laughs> they don't do nothing. But yeah, um, yeah, Namor ain't, ain't trying to hide it at all. I mean, he rarely ever does, but he's definitely not trying to hide it now. Of course, for those of you who don't know, uh, these two have a, a, a long history, a lot of sexual I mean, tension. He's, he's kind of like, he's not even here. Let's just bang. Yeah. Is even- Sue like kind of into him sometimes? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, she's like, I'm just window shopping, but I'm thinking about going in the store. Dude, even in old issues, I remember there's one in like the first 10 because they encounter Namor within the first 10. And then there's a follow up issue where uh, Reed finds that she keeps a picture of Namor hidden in like a bookshelf. <laughs> like it's like, <laughs> and he's like, what? You know, that's. That's that's so close to infidelity, bro. Well, maybe if he didn't spend so much time in the thinking. I mean, shed. I mean, to be fair, even when Reed was making, he himself, sucks as a husband. It, Namor it, will be passionate. Even that's when, a fact. Right. Yeah. Even when Reed was drawn by Dale Eagleshaman, and he was ripped. He still wasn't as ripped as Namor. Namor is so fucking like <laughs> he's broad shouldered. He's got that six pack like on display. You know, he's got is, that mature widow's peak. Uh. <laughs> I mean, this is really just based off of what we get in this book, because I don't know anything outside of it. You can kind of tell just from this read her relationship with Reed is very much, you know, he's the smart one. And he's sort of I can see how that would be like domineering in a relationship. So she's kind of I don't know what the term would be. She kind of takes a back seat and is a bit more like not she's sort of reserved or withdrawn. Passive. Passive. That's the word. But then with Namor, he brings out that. That other side of her that's like a fucking fighter. Yeah, that's like aggressive. And I don't know. It's kind of cool. As Brett said, passion. Passion, yeah. Yeah. There's really not a... I was kind of expecting uh, just way more like relationship stuff in this between like Sue and Reed. They don't really interact much. They've been a part at a lot of the uh, junctures of these books so far. Maybe it'll come back later on. Also, is there like... Is Andromeda love Namor? And that's part of why she yeah, she's Sue just so loyal much. to him. Okay, yeah, but um, yeah. So back with Johnny and Ben. Johnny drives Ben around, and they have a nice conversation where Johnny asks Ben if he is afraid that only having this for like one week a year will just make it worse when he has to, you know, be his other self, basically. But Ben is at peace and grateful for any time he can have, saying, "I've missed out on a lot of things, Johnny. I think all one week a year means is I won't ever <laughs> take it for granted, and I'll appreciate everything I get." Johnny says that's good enough and takes Ben to an apartment building, a building Ben recognizes. He says he doesn't know if he should do this, but Johnny tells him that he's going. And it turns out that this is Alicia Masters' apartment. And uh, this is when they this is when they get back together, actually, in the comics. Uh, they hadn't okay. been together for a little while. And, it does uh, bother me a little bit that she's like, I love you again because you're, you're, you have smooth skin. Well, no, that's not why. It's, it's more just like, hey, we can actually bang now. How weird would it be, Max, if I like, we were just hanging out and then I drove up to like, Bronwyn's house you guys are separated I'm like going in <laughs> I would be like have you like talked to her or something like get in there buddy go like, do your thing like we're not talking <laughs> and he watches yeah. him from the window yeah he's just yeah, I don't he, think Johnny knew they were gonna bang he knew <laughs> that's exactly, what the hell is the point that's I totally he just, why he, he took was just there. like he was just like go show her you know it, it, he's like, like I got something else fun for you I don't know if it was like that. I think it was more like he's looking out for him and he knows that he cares about her and he wants her to he wants him to go because he he's the one who left her. He's like, I'm not good enough for her or whatever, you know, is he genitalless as the thing? I mean, probably a rock and it probably won't work (laughs) like that. Well, yeah, but yeah, it's definitely a rock. It's definitely a rock. And yeah, now they can bang. So, you know, is his tongue a rock? No, his tongue was like normal, isn't it? (laughs) I think it is because he's got eyeballs, too. So, yeah, Ben goes up. She feels his, you know, real face and they start making out while Johnny waits on the streets and thinks, good for you, Ben. He uh, doesn't just wait on the streets, Nick. He watches. He does. <laughs> yeah. 
It's weird. <laughs> we then, Go get him, Ben. We then cut to Reed looking at the fault, which is a tear in space that occurred during a, a book called The Thanos Imperative. Well, that was what was going on in the space books at this time, the cosmic books. But um, uh, Reed mentions the fault by name and the crunch, which are two space concepts debuting for these stories. Uh, they also factor into Hickman's Avengers run quite a bit. So, you know, he's just looking at it, just showing they're all connected. Uh, while Reed takes... Notes on his findings, he is interrupted by Silver Surfer, who is super pissed. And Surfer says Reed and his family have a unique like radiation that lingers because of the cosmic rays. And uh, it was all over the body of his master, Galactus. And uh, to, for context, to Surfer was back to serving Galactus again for a short time. That was actually a really interesting like run. Like It was a really cool time for Marvel Cosmic stuff. But uh, they were summarize. Kind of- he shows up and goes, I know you were there. Your shit stank. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was. Thank you. I, I, I was curious why he was working for Galactus again. Yeah. This is like post annihilation. So like Galactus is back and like, you know, and, and he gets Norrin to be his herald again under some real strenuous circumstances, you know. So like they're uh, they're kind of buddies again for, mm-hmm. for the sh- short time, at least. Silver Surfer is so menacing in this. He's scary in this. Yeah. He's like just super mean. Like, yeah, he's like. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah he's he's like explain yourself reed and reed's like well it will take a bit to explain and the surfer ends the issue by saying uh, you misunderstand me reed it is my master who seeks answers to difficult questions and he would have them now and we see galactus appear floating above the baxter building blocking out the sky the show is awesome such a cool last page yeah i love that stuff i also just love that you misunderstand me reed yeah i was like oh shit <laughs> yeah so the next issue uh, picks up right there as johnny and ben show up to the baxter building uh johnny immediately flies up to back up Reed. Reed explains everything to Galactus and is honest. Uh, he tells him that the body is from the future and the entire New World saga stuff. Um, he says he wasn't trying to be deceptive and he even tells them that, you know, they're on an artificial planet in this galaxy and Galactus tells Norrin to locate it. Uh, he does in a cool cosmic awareness, you know, GPS panel or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought that was cool. It reminded me of uh, when we did Death of Captain Marvel and uh, and he used his uh, cosmic awareness yeah. in that one scene. It was cool. Uh, but yeah, Johnny is worried. It basically asks, like, should I be worried? And uh, Galactus says he means Earth no harm, like at this time. Uh, he then says he will be leaving for the artificial world to seek answers. And he tells Reed that he's got to come with him. And Reed agrees. He tells Johnny that him and Ben need to look after the kids. And Johnny yells out that Ben took the formula and it worked. And Reed asks if he's okay. And Johnny says better than that. And Reed has a nice moment where he just kind of thinks and he goes, fantastic. It's good. He's happy for his friend. That's his catchphrase. Yeah. That's the name of their team. But yeah, um, uh, Galactus, Galactus's (laughs) eyeball ship arrives um, and Reed goes off uh, telling Johnny to take care of things uh, for he will be home soon. We then get kind of like a Game of Thrones scene where Andromeda... They, uh, you know, the aide to Namor with uh, Sue and Namor are all waiting around at the summit with the newly discovered Atlanteans. Andromeda thinks that Namor is blinded by his lust for Sue, that, you know, he's only doing whatever she wants, like in entertaining a peaceful approach. Uh, But in the end, Andromeda backs off after Namor tells her to leave. Namor then tells Sue that Andromeda thinks she is uh, leading him to something that is not best for his people. And Sue kind of reiterates uh, she wants what's best for everyone, not just one people. And Namor ominously says, if only things were so simple. Uh, we then get a very interesting scene while uh, Galactus and Reed fly on his ship, the Ta-2, home of Galactus in the form of a big space station. I love how Galactus looks all intense piloting the ship and Reed is just stretching around like an asshole. That's, okay, what, I was, that's one of the things I was talking about earlier where it's like, what's he doing? <clears throat> it's like he's looking around. He's like, what's this? What's this? Like he's an annoying kid. Like, it's, it's You could very much tell they're doing like a Bob Ross like. And maybe Reed's maybe Reed's over here doing <laughs> doing a stretchy with his arm. I think I, he's I, like he's like a little dog, like annoying the shit out of Galactus. Okay. Like just like just that's like, okay. Sit down. Reed can be whatever you want him to be. <laughs> kind of like with Doom and uh, Valeria. This is my other favorite like odd couple pairing. 
I like the idea uh, of Reed and Galactus just banging around the galaxy, just doing science <laughs> shit. Yeah. The fact that that'd Galactus, be a fun, like, standalone. The fact that he has a ship, well, I was like, oh, I don't like that. I like the concept of Galactus just, like, crossing his arms and, like, floating through the galaxy really fast. <laughs> he does but that. He this, does that sometimes, too, but, but he, he originally debuted with a ship. It's like he's riding a hog. He's got his arms. Yeah, yeah that's pretty Fucking sick. great, dude. <laughs> I think it's cool, yeah. <laughs> but Galactus says, uh, you know, they will... Reed. Did you fart? <laughs> <laughs> my cosmic Richards. awareness. <laughs> Richards. No, no, no. My cosmic awareness. <laughs> no, he, he, what is Silver Surfer say? He's like, he's like, your family emit an, a unique <laughs> nasal smells. signature. <laughs> he just rolls down the window. <laughs> you have radioactive farts, Reed. <laughs> But yeah, Galactus is like, oh, you know, we'll set out for New World as soon as Surfer gets back with some other people. He who smelt it, dealt it. (laughs) (laughs) But he tells Reed that there are others on Earth that had noticeable exposure to his uh, future self's remains, and he wants answers, so Surfer is going to grab them too. Uh, Galactus then mentions he knows that Reed has noticed something off. Galactus did not, it did kind of get away from Earth rather quickly, huh? And uh, Reed admits that he did notice that but doesn't know why Galactus would act that way. And Galactus then tells Reed it's because he experienced fear. And Reed is baffled, and the scene ends with Galactus saying, the blocks in his mind have been broken and his powers are active again. Reed Richards, we have to talk about your son. Mm. And it's like, dun, dun, dun. Galactus is afraid of our boy Franklin. Listen, unironically, listen to you say that out loud. I got like the, the chill. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> I feel like that's a panel I've seen. Probably. People use it a lot when they're like, Franklin Richards is badass. He yeah. in the who would win battles. <laughs> who would it's like go, it's like like point number one. Galactus is afraid of him. Jump back to Ben and Johnny, who are entertaining all the kids by telling them stories about their old adventures. I love how when they ask about the moral of the story, and all the kids come up with is like complicated science based answers, and they're like, "No, it's just because you're smart. Don't mean you know everything." <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny but yeah they they send the kids to bed and uh they go to the kitchen for like a late night sandwich you missed it's adorable dragon man is sitting on the floor with his and he's like he's like a living couch for the moloids yeah yeah they, they all they're oh, all pretty cute yeah, yeah. uh ben, once just one day you want to go home to not a bunch of mole people and dragons and shit they love them the building's also really big it is they big. probably got space they seem like respectable tenants as well. They love helping people. Yeah, fair. But yeah, uh, they send the kids to go to bed, like I said, and Ben and Johnny go to the kitchen for a late night sandwich. Ben asks Johnny uh, if he wants kids. And kind of surprisingly, Johnny's like, yeah. And Ben says that, you know, he's tried not to think about it because of his condition. You know, again, can't bang, can't have kids. And uh, Johnny has a great line where he says, well, nothing like a nice, quiet couple of days with a house full of kids to help you figure that out. You yes. know, it would be good while he's in this weak form. Go to the sperm bank. That true. Like yeah. save up a bunch so that if you want to try while you're a rock man, go to the beat room. He wants to do the deed though, you know. Yeah, he can save it Amen, up. Amen, brother. He can save. <laughs> <laughs> he can save it up for fifty-one weeks out of the year. Yeah, <laughs> just have a marathon. <laughs> But yeah, we, we then. So you can unique situation to be in. It's true. Yeah, we then cut and uh, we catch up with the cult of the negative zone from a few issues back. Uh, the anti priest with the typo negative tattoo on. Not his head. typo negative fans. It's a different color scheme. <laughs> yeah, but it's Incredibles a- color scheme. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is, this, is this is this a Hickman invention? The cult of the negative zone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But um. Uh, yeah, they're sending out uh, people. <laughs> To convert others to the cult of the Negazone, he then convenes with Annihilus and tells his master that they will storm the Baxter building tomorrow to open the door to the Negative Zone. Then they can unleash the second Annihilation Wave. And so, yeah. 
We're just supposed to like figure out who like context clues <clears throat> that Annihilus is like a dude in the negative zone. Yeah. So like I, I realized with the last episode that I didn't explain Annihilus when mm-hmm. he came up in the uh, episode. Um, uh, but do you, you guys know about him? I feel like you knew about him, Brett. Did you know who Annihilus was? I don't think so. Okay. So he's this he's this bug guy in the negative zone. He kind of like rules lords over all this hive mind bugs in a famous story from like the mid 2000s that I've talked about a lot called Annihilation. <coughs> the whole plot is that he breaks out of the negative zone because of like the fault and the crunch and they're able to swarm the galaxy and they just go and they just obliterate everything. And they're just this unstoppable, like natural disaster, basically. And Annihilus is like so single minded, like he has the mind of a bug, you know? So like he's just like he like Thanos thinks he's really interesting because he's like, oh, like you're a death bringer like I am. You like death a lot and stuff. And then like there's a point where like he gets Moondragon to like look into Annihilus's mind and Thanos is like, all I saw was blackness and death. Like that's all he thinks of and all he cares about. Like it's like he's just like a fucking insane like ruler of like this, you know, crazed fucking bug people. <laughs> and uh, But and he has a thing called the cosmic control rod. That context is very helpful for like why this is all such a big deal. He's kind of like I mean, I like Annihilus. I think his backstory, like I just explained, is is interesting and he's a cool design and a cool character. But he is like the most base, like just like bad guy. Like, he just wants to fucking murder everything. Like, that's that's it, you know? Like, so it's like, he's he's pretty easy to get, <laughs> I think. But, but yeah, so the issue then ends with Sue, uh, the Sue Game of Thrones stuff. And uh, during uh, the discussion with the New Atlanteans, things start to break down when Namor won't compromise. And he steps to King Ulhuar and tells him, while you slept, the world changed, old king, and it changed for the better. I agreed to this meeting so that I could see your face to see for myself exactly what had awakened from a dark long ago time. And now that I have, my course has been set. King Ulhuar asks what he means, and Namor responds by spearing him in the gut with his trident. She was awesome. <laughs> saying, here's the answer to their demands. Uh, Sue cries out, but Namor keeps attacking, saying he will never compromise. He then stands over King Ulhuar's body and ends the issue by saying, there is but one kind under the sea. Imperious oh, Rex. Oh, Namor. I love... Namor can't be in an issue of anything without doing a war crime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he does that. <laughs> Listen, when when you've got a thing, you keep to it. You keep yeah. doing it. He's been doing it that's since the 40s. A, that's a great cliffhanger, too. Like, this this arc has some banger last page reveals. I he's think. he's <laughs> been fighting for Hitler, against Hitler, whatever. It's, it just depends on how he feels that day, you know? It's... <laughs> I don't know what it says, but when he threw the fucking spear, I was like, yeah. And I was like, wait, that's bad, though. Why am I cheering that on? <laughs> but it was like, also like, of course. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. It's like it's like, OK, there's a bizarre comfort in knowing that Namor is not going along with her plan. He's just but he's always going to do what he's. I will do. say it is a little unpredictable, though, because like in the past, like Sue is kind of like the only character that's ever been able to like kind of settle him down and get him to walk away peacefully from things. So sun's getting real low, big guy. Yeah. Yeah. That type of shit. (laughs) Yeah. Also, I just have to give a shout out because this is the first time that I've read this since uh, Hickman's X-Men work happened. And uh, but Namor has that line to King Uhuar where he says, uh, while you slept, the world changed. That's how his X-Men stuff opens up. But with Charles Xavier projecting that into the minds of everybody on Earth, which is really cool. 
really like that. But yeah, uh, so the next issue picks up right there. God, this is so linear. Uh, but the uh, the new Atlanteans have Namor. Uh, and <laughs> Sell out. <laughs> I'm glad you guys caught on. I that. can follow this. <laughs> I can follow this. What the fuck? <laughs> the new Atlanteans have Namor, Andromeda, and Sue cornered. Uh, Sue then realizes that Namor watched The Dark Knight because he wanted this to happen. And uh, Namor, <laughs> Namor <laughs> it's like these loyal Namor uh, Atlantean ships start bombing the summit. But Sue has a total badass moment where she shields the entire facility, making it so that, you know, they can try to solve this without further bloodshed. Uh, they then capture Namor and Andromeda. Uh, back with Reed and Galactus, uh, Surfer returns with the other people who reek of dead Galactus, and it's Ted Castle and Alyssa Moy from New World because they escaped to Earth at the end of that last uh, uh, sequence we saw them in. So Reed says Galactus is heading for New World, but doesn't know what he will do once they get there. Uh, they transport to the uh, gravitational singularity that New World orbits around, and uh, Galactus detects another planet, one compromised entirely of sentient AIs. Uh, Surfer wants to go investigate, but Galactus says that they must focus on the task at hand for now. Watch out for that Ultron moon, guys. Just saying. That was a fuck up. We then jump to see it's day six on the counter, and the anti-priest from the Cult of the Negative Zone sends a bunch of Annihilation bugs disguised <laughs> as humans to the Baxter building. Uh, it's an all-out attack, with Ben telling Johnny to protect the kids. Uh, the Moloids try to relate to the bugs by telling them <laughs> about themselves, which is kind of fun and cute. I, I like that. That yeah, was a cute that, scene. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, they are saved by Alex, who uses his gravity powers to kill some of the bugs. It's okay because they're bugs, I guess. Johnny comes and sees this and realizes, oh shit. They're bugs, and uh, he's like, they're going for the negative zone portal. And as he realizes this, he notices eggs in the dead ones begin to hatch. Back at New World, Galactus, Reed, and crew finally reach the artificial planet. Reed explains again all the events that led to Galactus's death, and Galactus asks uh, if this can be avoided. In the future, basically. And Reed thinks back to the council. Specifically, he thinks of the farm planets that can provide endless resources. And when he did the uh, universal surgery that we mm -hmm. talked about um, in the bridge, or not the bridge, the first arc. Uh, they changed the typo. They fixed it. Did it they? Was, this is how we preform surgery. Oh, yeah. That was the one you pointed out, wasn't uh -huh. it? They fixed it. I think they were like, we got it. <laughs> Hickman was like, you better get this shit right this time. But so yeah. the same panel, but fix it. <laughs> he does do that a lot where he has he, he has mimicking panels a lot like in his books mm -hmm. kind of interesting but yeah uh reed says that he believes that the future can be avoided and galactus asks if he is willing to do that to save his planet reed says yes and galactus is all chipper and goes all right you know what humans i'll let you try to save your planet surfer taking the ship i'm staying here i hunger and uh ted freaks out saying there are billions of innocents on new world uh, he can't just kill them all to which galactus has one of his best lines where he says who tests god and does not wager their life a price will be paid i was like fucking windmilling <laughs> <laughs> just reading and fucking banging your head. Yeah. <laughs> but Ted thinks that they can get people through the portal that he used to go to Earth. At least they could save some people. And Reed asks Galactus for time. Galactus is like, no. And Reed says that he has to try a little bit of Franklin rubbing off on him. Maybe. Maybe. We don't know. <laughs> but uh, Galactus is like, you know, you do you and I'm gonna do me. And uh, he starts the power up while Reed, Ted and Alyssa rush to try and help the people of New World. Okay. Reed does extend his arm he, while they're running. I, this cannot be, or it's just a fun thing. I don't think it's like intentional, but throughout this entire thing, I have noticed different iterations of like four characters almost presented as four, uh -huh. like a version of Fantastic Four. And this is another one. Yeah. he. If you notice, he does. It's really fucking cool. He draws in, in the next issue. He draws a very similar panel with some other individuals. Okay. Uh, I, <laughs> I love that as a recurring thing with all the multiversal fuckery yeah yeah it's kind of neat yeah <laughs> but yeah so back at the atlantean summit uh sue holds the barrier and is told that namor and andromeda are not cooperating sue asks for namor to be brought to her i want to say real quick the lighting made it look like 
she's been holding this massive bubble for so long. Yeah, yeah. That like her nose was bleeding. Oh um, yeah, it's like she's the, concentrating the coloring, mm-hmm. and I was like, "That's that's cool. Like this is like a fucking massive strain on her, and she's holding on." Yeah, I think it, I think it is supposed to be like we're supposed to assume like, "Oh, she, this is taking a lot." Like, well, I mean, like like literally, that there was blood pouring out of her nose, but then she looks up and it was just the shading. Yeah, yeah. but it's the end of every Zelda game. Deep yeah. shadow. Link, yeah. I can't hold him for much longer. It's the end of every Fantastic Four movie. My True. light wanes. <laughs> what do we do with Sue? I guess have her stand there. Have her have her have a nosebleed. Not fair. Does she even get like? Do they even get their powers in the Josh Trank movie? Yeah. Okay. Isn't that what that whole movie's about? Yeah. It's just them having powers and it being awful. Yeah. And completely unfantastic. Me and Brett saw that opening night. <laughs> I know you did. Oh, fan four stick. Yeah, fan four stick. God. Yeah. I'll ask you then what I. I'll ask you now what I asked you then. Why? I I think we were curious because we were like, there's no way that like it's as bad as. The, like the reports are coming out about how it's unfinished. Like the day it was released, the director was like, it's not my movie or whatever, you know, like just like, yeah. it was like the most like horrible fucking opening. Puts out a movie. movie said, I didn't do that. Yeah, I didn't do that. <laughs> no, but like, I, I will say there's like shades of like some neat ideas in that movie. Like, I mean, I don't know. And I had fun. Yeah. I had fun watching it with Brett just because, I mean, we would make fun of the bad stuff. But like, I did. I, read we up. drove home and were parked in the car in the driveway talking about it for like an hour. Yeah. Just like how absurd it was. That, I, that is one I want to I would like to see. It doesn't exist because I don't think they even shot it. But if there was a director's cut of that, I would be curious as hell because that's a weird concept. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. I like kind of recently when I was watching the other movies, I did like a I read like the Wikipedia page and it was pretty detailed. And it was like. It seems like Josh Trank was just like saying whatever he felt like at the time to make people feel less aggressive to him about the movie where he'd be like, he's like, we shot all this stuff and they didn't use it. It's not my movie. And then later he'd be like, yeah, we never shot that stuff. It was in the script, but we never did it. And it's like, yeah, yeah, be consistent. Yeah. I don't know, man. So Sue asked for neighbor to be brought to her. He says that she looks lovely in a funny little scene. And uh, she asks him point blank why he did what he did. Namor then gives a long winded backstory about how these people match the descriptions of ancient Atlantean enemies, enemies so terrible that they were erased from the history besides the knowledge passed down from king to king, which is a little. This is the, the <laughs> seems like sort of discrepancy I wanted to mention earlier, where when they introduce these people, they're like they've been living in an isolated pocket of the Antarctic Ocean for hundreds of thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they've never, we've never seen him anywhere else. And then Namor's like, no, they were in the whole ocean. Yeah, but he's saying that they were, they were like in ancient times. But like, how, why, why did they leave a little bit, bit of them? And the I Atlantic think it's ocean? more like the Atlanteans like chased them into hiding, and then they just like were in this spot for I gotcha. untold time. You know, I got gotcha. like it, it, you know, I mean, like his story checks out in regards to making sense from his perspective. But like, it's also like I don't know if we're supposed to believe Namor. Why wouldn't like, you? Well. Because he says it's, uh, it was erased from history except for like what kings tell kings. So like I'm the only one who knows. To me, it, Namor wouldn't lie. <laughs> to me, it it reads like like racism. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, no, no, it very much is the uh, the I'm not racist, but people. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, it's, it's very much. That. <laughs> Namor's like I have an Atlantean friend. <laughs> I have an ancient Atlantean friend. He's got like a shark head or whatever. He's, he's cool. cool though. <laughs> So not all. I mean, they're all cool, but you know, he's He's like one of the good ones. Though he's like one of the yeah, he's one of the good ones. I mean, they're all cool, but I'm not racist. (laughs) Sue is skeptical. They'll kill you though. (laughs) 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 Yeah, so Sue is skeptical, thinking that it sounds like bullshit, and that they're you know 
culture could have changed after all this time anyway, even if that was true. <laughs> but Namor is racist and says that they are up to their old tricks, and he believes they plan on eventually killing Sue to make an example to the surface world. Uh, back at the Baxter building, the Future Foundation has rallied. Uh, they get out their science weapons. Uh, ben grabs a big laser gun. Bentley even made a bomb he's very proud of. <laughs> There's a couple of moments with Bentley that are kind of fun, where he's just like overtly... I forgot who that kid was. The wizard clone? Yeah. yeah. I do love, though, they give him the gun and he's like, he's like, what's this? And they go, it's a, it's a giant gun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but John, Johnny tells Val to lock down the negative zone portal, but she is afraid the shielding won't hold up. Uh, it's here. She gets attacked by a bug. Johnny flames it. Bentley t- like throws the bomb that he made and <laughs> he sells it. He tells it that he loves it and then chucks it <laughs> in their area, uh, destroying the remaining attacking bugs. Again, it's like. Kid on the spectrum, like <laughs> big time. Evil kid on the spectrum, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> the only problem is uh, he also damaged the control panel. However, Reed has been creating a new form of shielding for the portal, but it hasn't been tested. And uh, Val says that it should hold if they are just like regular bug guy monsters, but they come with surprises. And at that moment, a bunch of the bugs suicide bomb the portal gate, ending the issue as it opens with a horde of annihilation wave bugs rushing in. All right. This next issue is the culmination of this arc. It's the last Steve Epting issue on this arc, at least. He does come back later in the series. But the first page shows us all three like situations that are going on, you know, with Johnny Ben, Reed and Sue at the same minute. Like it says day six at 2.45 p.m. Uh, EST. Yeah. Reed is running with Ted and Alyssa. Sue stands before a gathering of Atlanteans and Johnny, Ben and the kids fight for their lives in the Baxter building. So the kids are starting to be overrun by the Annihilation Wave bugs. That is until Leech starts to yell punch (laughs) over and over again. Uh, Val realizes that Leech is communicating to knock him out. Val does so and Franklin starts wrecking the bugs with his unfiltered powers. I don't think that we ever talked about Leech's powers, did we? No. Okay, so he he saps power from those around him. Hence why they always want him hanging around with Franklin. Can he control, like, direct it? He can now. He couldn't really at the time. It was, okay. like, a natural thing he just did. Like, okay. he doesn't really choose to do it at this point. But, yeah. Um, it is. It is. There's a there's a shot of Dragon Man breathing fire, but he's still got his little readers on. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. He, like, always has the glasses on now. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, they get the shield back up after this, and all seems well, but Val says that the shield won't hold. Uh, they have to get to the other side and activate the vibranium shielding to be sure. Uh, she mentions how if the control station from the last issue wasn't destroyed they could do it from this side but because it's gone they have to do it manually in the negative zone like on that side of the portal and uh they better do it quick before the annihilation wave all realizes that there is a way out uh so johnny and ben don't like this idea especially because val says her and some of the other future foundation kids need to go help to activate it and figure out what to do yeah she says they only need a few minutes and that franklin alone can buy them the time they need and begrudgingly Johnny agrees, tells the other remaining kids that Dragon Man is in charge while they go to take care of this. The Avengers are on their way to help, and he tells Dragon Man to burn anything that comes through the portal that isn't them. So they head on into the negative zone. Uh, Ben with his crazy future gun, Johnny, Val, Franklin, Artie, Alex Power, the Bentley clone, and uh, Mick, the Moloid. Uh, So what's the Moloid going to do? He was the the really smart one that like, that's right. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) He's he's always doing the calculations and stuff. I read this yesterday and I already forgot. (laughs) Yeah, so cutting to the Atlantean summit, uh, Sue confronts the leader of the collective of old Atlanteans. Uh, she asks if they mean to kill her. They say they aren't like that anymore. They have changed. Namor scoffs at this, asking if she is to be their sacrifice like so many others were in the past. But uh, they say uh, she is much more. In fact, by way of their ruling, since King Uhuar's heirs are too young to ascend to the throne at this time, the leadership position actually passes to his steward, who happens to be Sue. Uh, so then they all bow to her. Yeah, Brad, did you want to talk about this? Yes. <clears throat> It makes no sense. I mean, I know it's it's like just a silly plot point in a comic book, but 
Think of it this way, Brett. She's their regent. I mean, she's their person that he trusts. Right. And that was a thing, too. They were like down there just for a day. And they were like, we saw her go back multiple times. No, but I'm saying that they were down there and they said, like, we really need someone to be our whatever regent. Yeah. And she said, it has to be me. It's like, what are you talking about? You have a family. You you, you have a life. You have a job. What does she does? She come down here every day for eight hours. She comes down there very frequently throughout the entire run so far. But but it's just like how this extreme, huge responsibility. She's like, it has to be. It's like, don't you have 300 other things going on? Think about it. They made it to this place. They were the first humans to be there in like 100,000 years, right? First of all, this culture doesn't know anything about ours, really. They don't, they, they say that. They're like, they're like, don't you have like a, a person who speaks for all of you and stuff? And they're like, no, we, that reads like, no, we don't really have that. And then Sue is like, I can be that for you. She didn't say, and, why don't I go find uh, someone else? I'll get you a secretary. Because she has the best relationship with Namor. She knew that like this was going to mm. cause problems. Like, she knows the most, like human wise, I think she's she could consider herself an expert on Atlantean culture. Who else is really good friends with Namor? Nobody. He, nobody fucking likes him. Namor. <laughs> I've made a clone of myself Plus to hang out with, but it turns out I'm insufferable. <laughs> I agree in the fact that it is not spelled out. I do think it makes sense. And I don't mind it like as a plot point, um, especially in the sense that like it gives Sue some agency for once. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, I kind of thought along your, your point too about her just being more of a good for them, I, a connection to the human world. Yeah. So. I get, I, I like giving Sue agency, but then it's like, now you are our queen. And she's like, and it's called I am queen. the queen. She, she calls herself a queen. They say that, that they need a, a little leadership she, role. Then she's suddenly like, you know, hardcore. How into else it. is she Aha, supposed to I'm be with fucking name? who just was murdering people and shit. That's I thought she's going to be like, oh, you can't do that. How now. about I'm not fucking qualified for this. I have other shit to she do. She has to yeah, take a stand. She, she's not like Denethor where he was like power mad and he was like, I'm the steward of Gondor and I'm ruling this if bitch. She, Plus, if she reacted that way to them bowing to her, Namor would be like, <laughs> and then fucking try to murder him again. Plus what happens later on. She has to stand her ground. Yeah. And plus what happens later on, it's kind of like this. It's, it's she's thinking like a dignitary. She, she might be the only one that could with Namor, if, it, if we're running with this, where she's the only one that can kind of reel him in, reel him in. She, the, she may have been the only one that could have to me, reeled him in without it getting more violent. So I, maybe I that's think why that, she's, just, I think that's very much the case. This would be like if the four of us went to fairyland for a day and the fairies are like, Ooh, we need a Pegasus King. Nick, won't you be our Pegasus King? The way like, I yeah, will this, be the Pegasus King. But in this way. I, Nick, am now the Pegasus King. No, because it, Sue already knew Atlanteans and shit. She already has like a baseline for this. And she knows like the implications that would happen like once they come out. And she's so, raising like, her family in the Baxter building and also she's the, a queen, fucking, the queen of. She's a fucking superhero. Reed is fucking on New World right now. Like, what's your point? The way I thought about like, it, Brett, is that we've established they're like, parents. We're t- yeah, we established they don't fucking hang out with their kids. Do you want to be with a dragon man? Do you want to be the emperor of China? But also most of the time you're over in the Baxter building. You know what I mean? It's like you cannot do this. I think she, I think she can. I think she can. Like when you play a JRPG and your character is always the most important thing, like everybody in your party is the most important thing. So these are the main characters. So it's just whatever the story needs them to be. I they're they're going to do it. I got to be honest. I just didn't think about it at all. <laughs> I agree with you, Maybe Brett, that me. it is very like it feels like. Um, like, oh, yeah, she's over here doing this. Like she is just okay with this massive responsibility. She's good at that. Yeah, I think the the stuff that you and often Max tend to get stuck on 
for whatever reason, it's stuff I had never even stopped to consider. Uh, I mean, I know I'm just supposed to let it go, but it's like, well, it's, it's, if it stands out, I get that. I guess that's what I'm saying is none of this stands out to me because I'm not even thinking this. I'm just kind of reading it. This would be something Stan Lee would do, but it'd be like, well, everything else has been stupid. So that's fine. (laughs) I think too, Brett, you did did often say that new world hasn't been stupid. I'm saying (laughs) this is not stupid enough. Okay. I think well, everything else is stupid. Two, me and you are not used to this kind of stuff, and they are, so it's a lot more like go with the flow of it. Yeah, it's like you just got to be okay that like a lot of this is supposed to be really serious, but then this thing is really, really, really stupid. Just to say, I think I take exception to that because I do think it's like, I think it's fine. I think it's totally fine, and it's not something that I just gloss over and go, we'll take it at face value. Like, no, I think it makes sense. I did find I the so. you're the queen. That felt a little contrived to like- Steer Stu into Stu Stu into being. <laughs> I hate women so much. I've turned her into a man. Um, just making her the queen felt a little like like uh, forcing building blocks into place to make the story go this way, but not not enough to like really bother me. I was kind of just like, oh, okay, I don't know. I, I think it's a neat plot point. I I dig it. But uh, yeah, we then cut to New World where Galactus is just going to, he's just going full ham on that, that artificial planet, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ted and Alyssa reveal that in order to save everybody, quote unquote, they need to save Natalie X, who, as we said before, has become the collective world mind of New World, and uh, she's got a big old head. <laughs> she was so funny. Jesus yeah. Christ. <laughs> and uh, they find her with Lightwave by her side. Uh, he says that, you know, they, she can travel, but she's fragile. Unintentional rhyme there, but, <laughs> but uh, um, Reed says something is off uh, or wrong or off about all of this. Uh, to which Lightwave says that we must hurry. My former master's conversion rate is much higher than normal. Galactus is not trying to consume the world; he simply wishes to destroy it. Uh, we cut back to the negative zone where Johnny, Franklin, and Ben, with his gun, are fending off attacks while Val and the Future Foundation try to figure out a solution. Uh, they have Bentley watching out for attacks and giving probable percentages for their planned success. Uh, the only problem is that Reed is very good at designing stuff, and their options are very limited. And with Bentley guessing they have four minutes until the full wave arrives, it's even more dire. So they go through a few scenarios, but none are really worth the risk of failure, so Val says someone is going to have to stay behind. And back at the Atlantean summit, Namor's pissed at the revelation that Sue is now in charge of the Collective. Uh, She takes her shield down finally and tells Namor to call off his attack. Uh, He tells her she doesn't want to get involved in this. He tells her that, you know, there's going to be a war. Uh, But Sue is like, well, I'm involved. Fuck you, Namor. You're going to do what we said and honor the treaty. He goes to grab her and starts to yell, but Sue decks him in the face with a force field armor arm. That looked cool. (laughs) I I didn't even know she could do that. Yeah, that's cool. (laughs) I do like Namor sounds so fucking petulant. Oh, yeah. I yeah. am the king of all the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, honor the deal, Namor. I'm done asking nicely. Namor's pissed and at first, you know, and he yells at her from the ground going, you dare? And uh, Sue yells back, you're damn right I do. In case you missed it, these are my people now. I rule here and I am a queen that bows to no king. To which Namor looks up at her, smiles and calls her magnificent, which Sue rolls her eyes at. <laughs> I, <laughs> I love that interaction, actually. Like, you guys think that Namor is a uh, milady man in the DMs? Dude, <laughs> this, do you remember the, the <laughs> yeah. video? Oh, Oh, dude, th- this right here. His picture has him with the fedora and shit. Like, yeah, th- this right here. Women is don't like, like nice, guys. nice guys. He sends a DM that's like, like your breasts are most modestly shaped. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, she then tells him that the treaty stands and she's going to go home. We then go back to read a new world. Him and his hodgepodge gang end up at the portal in time to go back to Earth. They uh, actually get stopped by Jenner. Uh, <laughs> Janitor Jr. Janitor Jr. 
Janitor Jr. <laughs> they get stopped by Banner Jr., a.k.a. the maestro, though, uh, who has a bone to pick with Ted for creating this world and dooming his people. Uh, they start to argue, but Reed is like, Galactus is literally killing the planet we're on. We have to go. Everybody's coming. And with that, Ted puts the coordinates in for Earth, and they leave as Galactus destroys the artificial planet. So, you know, pour one out for New World. Uh, I was going to make a joke about how the rest of the series is all about bringing New World back, but I couldn't put you guys through that temporary pain. Yeah, you say so. pour one out. I'm pouring one back in. <laughs> I'm refilling the bottle. <laughs> but, but, kind of neat. We're moving into the status quo with all these weirdos, though, from this adventure on Earth, though. I'll, I'll say that. Uh, so now back in the negative zone, we get our final sequence of this issue. The Future Foundation kids tell Ben and Johnny that there's no solution besides someone staying behind to manually activate the vibranium shield. And uh, they only have about 60 seconds before the annihilation wave hits them. And Ben looks down, cocks his future gun and says that, you know, it's been fun. He tells Johnny to get them all on the other side. He tells Johnny he just had like one of the best weeks of his life because of him and he isn't going to go out like, you know, owing him anything. And Johnny objects saying like, you know, asking Val basically if there's any other way, anything else they could do. She says no. Johnny says that that settles it then. And as the kids walk through to the other side, Johnny punches Ben in the gut, throws him through the gate to safety. Uh, He locks their side, and Ben frustratingly yells at him to open it back up. But Val says there's no time, so Ben concedes and tells her to inform Johnny on what to do. Johnny enters the codes. Uh, Val tells Johnny, like, you know, Reed will definitely have a backdoor built in, and that will, will be back for you. And Johnny looks solemn, and he tells Ben, when you see Reed, you tell him, Tell him this is where I made my stand, which was a reference to their conversation in the original Negative Zone issue from our last episode. I really liked the, I thought that was really clever that one of the super obvious codes, you know, like 0001234. was 4321. That, but it, that activates a fail safe. That means you will never be able to open it again. It randomizes it. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like, like, if you're just like fucking around trying to open it, you're, you know, it's like a lock code. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Ben starts to shout and bang on the shield saying, wait, no, no, no. And as he does so, he reverts back to his rock form. Uh, the two look at each other and Johnny says, unbelievable. You don't wish it any more than I do. Then they touch hands. Star Trek too. Yeah. That's they, such a cool, sh- uh, with like the lens flare between their fingers. Yeah. They touch hands through the shield like Kirk and Spock. Uh, and Johnny turns around to see the horde of bug monsters approaching. He then stands on top of some rocks and says, so this is it. A billion to one. You think I'm afraid of that? You think I'm afraid of that? Flame on. And he ignites, ready to take on impossible odds. I do that actually in my head with the Andrew Garfield Spidey voice. Flame on. Dude, this shit. Flame on, flame on, flame on, flame on. Nick and I were texting about this, Brett. This like made me like actually emotional. I thought this was really powerful. And we were joking that you're going to be like, I just like don't understand how you could like feel emotion from like death story. No. No. (laughs) I knew you you would. I knew you would probably dig this at least. But I don't care because it's like, he'll come back. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, yeah, I, but these, it's still like an impactful moment. I did you know? like yeah, that there was there moment. was not an immediate out though. Like it was like, oh, he's fucked. You know, he's fucked. He's yeah. gonna he's gonna endure some pain. But it's like when these guys die, they're back the next year. That's the cynical nature of superhero comics. I agree. But yeah. I mean, like I I like to when I read death of stories, like living in the moment like that is like. It does. It makes them impactful. You know, like, I mean, like if I, they keep one or two of them dead. Captain Marvel. Nicholas. Marvel. Is that a nihilist? Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> they come out next year with death of Captain Marvel too. <laughs> <laughs> He's back. Oh, but he got cancer again. The cancer also came back. <laughs> but, uh, His bones got cancer this time. Yeah. <laughs> We're afraid it's turbo cancer. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to kill you even faster than last time. Couldn't <laughs> no, Johnny, because these are all just like. It's like bugs. Couldn't he just like fly up in the sky for a while? Dude, like the, the horde is like eternal. Billions. Like, you know, it's like it's 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 massive. You know, well, like, could, he could fly up into is there a space in the negative zone? I mean, yeah, I'm sure we'll find out what happened eventually. <laughs> I feel like if I was there, I could have survived. 
I mean, all right. Yeah. <laughs> but Ben can only watch as the shield closes. He sheds a tear as the sight of his old friend fighting for his life goes away. Uh, we see the horde swarming Johnny. And the last image is of Ben hanging his head, falling against the door with both Valeria and Franklin crying in his lap. And uh, then the page turns to black with nothing but the Fantastic Four logo, now with a three in place of the floor, and the text that reads, The Last Stand of Johnny Storm. Which gets me every time. I think it's such a good issue. Uh, I even got the uh, I got the poly bag. I've never opened it. I don't know what cover I have, but oh wow, it's cool. It's Did nice. you uh, buy that like off eBay or something, or were you? No, I found it at a comic book store. Okay, sealed. Yeah. yeah, it's cool, but you can't read it. I seen about opening it. You should. You could use like a um, open it. I don't want to do it. I want take to like a. If you want to keep no, the no, packaging no, no, no. pristine, you could take like a. I don't. Really, I don't care about that anymore. Like a heat gun or something, and, <laughs> and glue the back. Uh, cut it nicely. Cut it nicely. Cut it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here for the listeners. For the listeners, he's got a pocket knife. Do you want? Oh, this, he's got a Swiss Army knife with scissors. Uh, snip sure. off the top. Sure. This is done. Hey, this is such a powerful okay. character growth moment for you. While I stop caring. While Brett's doing surgery, I just want to get in a word before you guys start ripping into the art in the next one. Yes, some of the eyes a little strange. I'm going to talk. I didn't notice it. I'm going to talk about this. <laughs> that was so good. This this is the this is the art I was referring to. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I fucking love the art in here. I thought you know it was what great. you're going to love. I'll talk about it. But do, yeah. do you agree with me that this art this guy would be a good Batman artist? I fucking love Nick Tragoda. I think he's great. Ooh ooh ooh! Big reveal. Probably the standard cover, right? I would think. Nissan? I wasn't expecting huh? that. What is it? It's not good. What is it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. The regular cover. Yeah. The fo- what would have been funny if it was that oh, Nissan cool. on the back. <laughs> that was the cover was the Nissan ad. No, that's what I saw first. I was like, Nissan? That's not, Nissan. That's not who I expected to show up. My favorite yeah. member of the Fantastic So that Four. issue. <laughs> Nissan. Now, our final issue for today's episode is entitled A Month of Mourning, uh, the bulk of which is drawn by guest artist Nick Tragoda, uh, Hickman's future East of West co-creator. Ooh. Um, uh, look, I already know Brett is going to talk shit about his Hawkeye, but I love Nick Tragoda. <laughs> uh, Hawkeye he, is he, really his Wonkai. Yeah, he he rules. Shut up. It's hyper stylized, very manga inspired. Um, here, let me get. Let, actually, yeah, let me get Max on my side real quick. Look, here's the, this uh, this uh, independent uh, book he did that's all about like emotions and stuff. And <laughs> that's the <laughs> comics you should have. Me read that really quick. <laughs> read that real quick. <laughs> Ghost Cage. Excuse me. I, I feel like this is a like a couple <laughs> steps removed from Jack Kirby kind of thing. I, I, like I very, like this art. A very it's gritty and cool. I do not dislike the art. I dislike the Wonkai. That right, one Hawkeye right. panel is really goofy. But in actuality, you love that because it gave you, you know. Oh, that. shit, dude. Yeah, it has been fun for me. This is beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Is this or, uh, or Mr. Well, Max uh, reads that for the rest of the episode. It's it's uh. not the exact same, but in the same vein as Darwin Cook, kind of carrying on yeah, yeah. an older style into the new. I think you could definitely see, um, maybe not much in this issue, but I definitely see a lot of manga inspiration in yeah. Nitragoda. Yeah. Um, this is like 80s manga. Yeah, I mean, look at that one. This is like, manga-y. Yeah, like, very much Like, so. look at that guy, Chris. That's like, that dude's like Fist of the North Star. Yeah. That's how East of West looks. Really? Yeah. It's a, it's a, he's one of my favorites. East of West is probably my favorite Hickman written series. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does the art on all of it. It's great. Is it's this awesome. brand new? That one was from like a year or two ago. Yeah. Okay. Is it, is it a done series? Yeah. It was only three issues. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. Um, uh, so this whole portion, uh, the bulk of the issue is silent. No dialogue to be found. Uh, the Avengers finally show up, but it is obviously too late. Uh, Sue transports in. Drops to her knees, shaken with grief. A couple days later, we see Reed try to approach her in their room, but she has put up a barrier, like literally a force field, and refuses to talk. Uh, Reed then does some crazy shit. If you are a longtime Marvel fan, he grabs the ultimate nullifier from his uh, first encounter with Galactus, um, which is like 
a nebulous weapon that can like theoretically destroy everything. Okay. Like, like and uh, so he opens the portal, confronts young Annihilus. That's the thing too. Now, Annihilus was reborn. That's why he looks like a kid. In okay. This kind of. But uh, uh, so he just yells at him and, uh, you know, looks to be like threatening him with the nullifier. And Annihilus doesn't care though and proves that he's a total dick by showing Reed Johnny's uh, torn uniform. That was fucked. Holds it up and kind of smiles. But, you know, Reed is shocked uh, and, you know, in grief, he just closes the portal. Uh, we see a vigil taking place in Johnny's honor. Ben is getting more and more angry as time goes on. Uh, we see a guy named Christoph Vernet uh, placed into power in Latveria. Doom had mentioned this in the first issue with him uh, about installing a puppet ruler while he figures his shit out. It's like, <laughs> he looks like a bad guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, we then see Doom attend Johnny's funeral from afar. Sue and Reed finally touch, holding hands at the service. And they all look on at the uh, finely crafted statue made in Johnny's honor. But yeah, uh, we see Spider-Man uh, swing on top of the Baxter building where Franklin is sitting alone. More on that in a second. He goes, your uncle was a dick. Don't worry about it. <laughs> we also see a future foundation. <laughs> you meeting. want a new uncle? <laughs> <laughs> but we also see a future foundation meeting being uh, headed by Valeria. She has basically listed stuff on a board of potential new candidates for the four <laughs> classics like, you know, She-Hulk, Storm, Black Panther, etc. But the rest of the group look upset and uncomfortable. So she erases it and replaces it with the words kill Annihilus. She got that doom in her. Can I ask you? Sure. She got who's... Wonkai there, too. <laughs> yeah. We then get a great sequence where Ben drives the Fantastic Car out to meet two friends, Donald Blake, a.k.a. Thor, and Bruce Banner, the Hulk. That's I was going to ask. I didn't know they were still doing the whole Thor Yeah, thing. He, he was still Donald Blake up until, I think, right after this is when they got rid of that. Okay. <laughs> but um, Seriously? Yeah. God damn. <laughs> I'm mild-mannered doctor, Donald Blake. Well, to I be fair, he, he, did, he, would ditch it. he would ditch it sometimes. But then go back. He's like, I got to be Blake again. You know, yeah, he did a, <laughs> I got to be a pediatrician. Yeah, whatever. Is that when <laughs> I got some patients? Yeah. Was that in the Walt Simonson run? Yeah, he does ditch and, it in there. He yeah. does ditch it in that run. Yeah. Uh, but I need a different doctor disguise. <laughs> uh, my name's Bonald Dake. <laughs> Bonald? <laughs> Bonald. Call me Bon. <laughs> but they are. Uh, they're all like out, they're out in the middle of the desert. And they appear, I, I'm actually not quite clear on what they do. They, yeah. they appear to show Ben a hologram picture or a video maybe of Johnny. Uh, it looks like it's meant as like a comforting thing, but Ben gets upset, still in like the anger phase of grief. He ends up punching Thor after he reaches out for his shoulder. Bruce hulks up and punches Ben, which just makes it worse. He smashes the Fantastic Car on, on the Hulk and, and wails on him until he is just I, on the ground crying. There, There's a scene where Thor is rushing at the thing and Hulk like holds his hand out where uh -huh. he's like, let him beat the shit let out him, of him. Let him beat me up. Yeah, it won't matter. And uh, yeah, and then he falls to the ground kind of crying and his friends then hug and, you know, try to console him. To reiterate that this has all been dialogueless his, is fantastic. It adds to that, I think, a lot. Yeah. This is this is like my favorite issue of the whole. It's like the moment of silence for Johnny. You know? Yeah. Like, I like that a lot. Yeah. And uh, we then cut to Reed, who is analyzing a list on his computer with various threat levels assigned to each of them. The list reads, invasion from the negative zone, high threat level. Invasion from Universal and Humans, high threat level. Celestial Invasion via Bridge, medium threat level. Franklin Power Set, high threat level. Galactus, Destruction of Earth, high threat level. Reformation of the Council, necessary. Then the silence ends when a blast of energy appears behind Reed, his father Nathaniel coming through, who says, Hello, son, I'm home. And that would be the end, but we get a secondary story that focuses in on the conversation between Franklin and Spider-Man, which is drawn by the wonderful Mark Brooks. This part made me tear up. The very last... <laughs> like page of it yeah it's 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 good powerful stuff uh, let's go through it um franklin is obviously you know down and out spidey asks if uh he can hang with him and franklin says he guesses that's okay uh he tells spidey that you know his uncle johnny died pete says that he knows and asks how he's holding up 
Franklin says he can't sleep and keeps having bad thoughts. And Pete tells him that, you know, he gets that and asks if he wants to go clear his head. So they go web slinging and Spidey asks if Franklin had lunch, but Franklin says he isn't really hungry. And Spidey does the uh, good uncle thing. And he's like, well, I could use really use a hot dog, but I'm not going to eat if you don't like, you know, and so Franklin agrees for Dude, Pete's sake. The fucking <clears throat> most pure. This is like, like, for I love Pete's sake. Is that what you said? Yeah. For Pete's sake. Yeah, for Pete's sake. That's yeah. funny. Yeah. When they go to buy hot dogs and Spider-Man looks at Franklin and says, can I borrow a dollar because his wallet's <laughs> yeah. empty? Yeah, that was get, fucking they, incredible. That is fun. They get some dogs, of course. Yeah, Pete doesn't have enough, so he borrows a dollar from Franklin. Or the I hot love, dog vendor might have just been like, hey, you're cool. Whatever. I love borrowing a dollar from a four-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then they, they have hot dogs on top of a building while they talk more. He then tells Franklin... That he also lost his uncle at a young age and that, you know, they were close like him and Johnny were. Franklin asks what happened and Spider-Man says he was killed in a robbery. Franklin says that he's sorry and Pete responds, me too. And not a day goes by that I don't think about him, not a single one, but it doesn't make me sad anymore. I mean, sure, I wish he was still here, but after a while, the dark thoughts, the bad ones like you're having now will fade away and you'll spend most of your time thinking about how much fun you had together or how much you loved him. Franklin asks how long that takes, and Spidey says it does take a while. He then gives Franklin a napkin to wipe ketchup off his face, and Franklin asks if he can tell Pete a secret. Pete says, of course. Franklin tells him that he thinks he could have stopped his uncle Johnny from dying. And Pete then asks him if he can tell Franklin a secret, too, and tells him that he knows he could have stopped his uncle from dying. That's fucking tugging on the heartstrings. That's good stuff. Oh, yeah. And Franklin's like, you know, really? Why didn't you? And Spider-Man says, because I was young, because I didn't understand how important every single decision we make is, because I had to learn that when you have gifts like ours, you don't think about yourself first. You think about how lucky you are to have them and how much other people need help. It's what my uncle would have wanted from me, and it's what your Uncle Johnny would want from you. Understand? Franklin says, yeah. Pete says, hop on him so that he could take him home. The issue then ends with Pete and Franklin swinging in the city. Franklin asks what Spidey's uncle's name was, and he tells him it was Ben. And in the clouds, we see reflections of both Uncle Johnny this last and frame. Uncle Ben. Yeah. Uncles. <laughs> Dude. And that is the end you. of Fantastic Four. <laughs> no, it's it's all very sweet. It's, <laughs> well, it's the name of the short story. So oh, Okay. But um, yeah. And in the clouds, we see the reflections of both Uncle Johnny and Uncle Ben. And that is the end of Fantastic Four, Future Foundation in three. So uh, fun fact to start off this overall discussion real quick. This was actually the last issue of the ongoing Fantastic Four series. Like issue 588 reads final issue on the cover. Hmm. and everything so this is the end of an era and the start of a new direction i i feel we got a lot of plot progression some stuff irrevocably changed like you know going forward and uh we got some really awesome character stuff in this one um uh, what were you guys' overall reactions like i said those first two trades were, were pretty or not trades first two episodes we did were pretty rough of like this is all too scattershot for me and then having it all finally come together i still feel like it's all like a lot of the storylines i'm kind of just like whatever about <clears throat> But that they're all coming together is satisfying. Yeah. What about you, Brett? It's uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on, but I, I, I really think there's too much stuff crammed into this. Yeah, I, I know you were scatterbrained about and like it's clunky. If you don't know what's going on, it's like I'll just uh, kind of move past that, move past that, move past that. I feel yeah. yeah. I mean, there's definitely a lot more. I feel like in these two trades, though. I mean, we're getting some of those like gelling moments where like stuff is coming. There are together. gelling moments, and yeah, and I, and I hoped and anticipated some gelling moments, but like. I know a lot of this is probably just not going to gel for me. That's okay. I mean, yeah, that's fine. Got some good moments out of it. You got Wonkai. Yeah. And like overall, it's a cool story. It's, but it's also like, and there's the Atlanteans and then there, you know, there's putting it on the front of the trade. Cool six, story. Brett Scott. Six and different things. Like going there are cool fragments of stories. In this. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I feel you. It's, it's pretty, it's, it can be very fragmented, especially if, uh, 
if you're not in on like every detail, you know, or like picking it apart like my dumbass does. But uh, <laughs> and Chris, what about you? Overall mm, reactions to this? I'm looking. I'm looking at that second trade on the wall that we haven't even gotten to yet. And I know we're just. I know you said this is like the end of this arc or whatever. But this is like the halfway I know there's, point. Right, right, right. Yeah. I knowing that it's the halfway point. I'm just like I'm long for the ride. See where we go. Halfway. <laughs> We probably got three episodes. I after thought we were this. almost done. We got three episodes after this, probably. How many? Uh, You're making me read a lot of shit on my school nights, Nick. I'm sorry. On this uh, this Omni, are we just for the next one? Are we just reading the end of the Omni? No, we're gonna read the first arc of the next one too because they go together. Okay. Yeah, I I, I guess some other stuff I wanted to say like. Uh, I think this is one of my favorite deaths in superhero comics ever. I really love this issue. That issue. It was really you know? good. Um, uh, I just feel it's so impactful, and the follow-up issue really delivers on you know mourning in the moment. Uh, the um, follow-up issue helps it, yeah, to yeah. be impactful. It's kind. Of, I would compare it to like uh, the issue where um, Brett, you've read this too, but the uh, Captain America died, and uh, they did that miniseries called Fallen Sun. And it uh-huh. was like the five stages of grief for each issue. Yeah, and it was a long, long time ago. Yeah, but you like follow the characters. And it was in the aftermath of like Cap dying. And you saw how like kind of like the Marvel Universe didn't have to like move so fast. Like it was like that series just let you kind of take the time and mourn. Like, and the, you know, the like, sixth mm-hmm. stage of grief is, oh, Captain America's back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the sixth stage of grief is comic. They brought him back so fast. They were like, oh, and he's back. Okay. <laughs> no, he was he was gone for a little while. Bucky was capped for quite Ex- some time. Acceptance. Accepting uh, that like, comic. I like your years. Yeah, a couple years. I like the Bucky cap era because he shot people. <laughs> I like Bucky cap. He was cool. You, uh, I, lo- I love that run. I think you ever, you ever checked out Zack Snyder's take <laughs> on Batman? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, so I, I did want to ask one thing um, just because. We saw one of, I know there's so many prophecies in this fucking run, but like, but uh, we saw when future Franklin fell through time to get back to the collapse space. uh, He saw three distinct moments. One of Valeria making the deal with doom, which we saw one of what Johnny says to Ben before he dies. And uh, the other was doom saying that he can do his work. uh, You know, he's like, here, I can do my work or whatever at an undisclosed place. Any predictions for that? To be honest, I didn't even clock that those weren't things that hadn't been said yet. Yeah, they happen after that. I didn't clock that. Oh, yeah. Um, I predict the place Doom is talking about is like a little crawl space in the Baxter building akin <laughs> to when a person like stays in someone's attic and they don't know it. You think he's talking about a bathroom? <laughs> Something like that, where he's in there doing stuff and then they discover that he's been living there for six months and they're just like, what the fuck? So that's why there's been a sound in the walls. Yeah. Someone's like, that's who's been eating my Doritos. <laughs> Um, I guess Doctor Doom, Doom would be cool like ranch. <laughs> I think Doctor Doom spicy nacho. Cool Doctor Doom's Doom. the store brand. <laughs> yeah. I think he's got his own jerk chamber. Oh yeah, Absolute. he probably does. He That's absolutely what, when he does. says work, he's he talking work. about he's working it. You know, he, he is. Yeah. <laughs> well, all right, guys. Uh, let's go ahead and do it. Uh, Fantastic Four, Future Foundation, and three. Are these issues a pull or a drop for you, Max? We'll start with you, like we always do. I, at this point, it's 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 going towards a more consistent pull. Cool. I'm glad. Yeah. Brett. Somebody give me a beat. That was that was, oh. that was that was remarkably a similar beat. <laughs> we both just did. <laughs> still, still just like anti. I wouldn't read this. If if you gave this to me in the wild and made me read it, I would not read the next one. Okay. All right. That's fair. Chris. Uh pull it. Let's keep going. You enjoying it uh more as we go or or uh I so consistent I'm consistent still. I'm at that phase where I'm like, okay, I'm enjoying it. 
but I'm still sort of keeping it like not not looking too deep into it because I know that just comic books how they are there's probably stuff yet to come and I want to have the full picture before I really make a judgment call you know yeah no I totally get that um uh, I'm just uh, I'm glad that you know at least Max it's gelling for you a bit more Chris uh, you're enjoying the ride Brett I really value your opinion on it I'd really do I mean like really Quit lying no no I I'm, I'm being completely serious like it, it's a it's it's a valid thing you don't you don't understand like how People talk about this run like like how I do constantly. I, I, I've heard people say, like, I don't really like Hickman's writing. That's it. That's, that's all I've ever heard, like in a negative, you know? So, I mean, it's it's very valuable. They don't talk about the eyes. No, they're not mean like that. <laughs> I, I feel like we've got three fairly distinct opinions here. We do, and it, and it makes it more interesting. I think that's what mm-hmm. made, like, these last couple episodes so good. It kind of feels like I'm, I'm more on the upside, you're on the down, Max maybe more in the middle. Yeah, I'm pretty in the middle. Yeah, yeah. So That's okay. you got a you got a nice smorgasbord of I appreciate opinions. It. It's more interesting that way. It's, thank you, thank you for is, suffering for this. It's Brett. a lot like I'm like, not suffering. <laughs> no, I mean like I I really couldn't I couldn't have hoped for like a better like panel because I mean we've done episodes where we're all just kind of like yep 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 like oh, you know, like, fuck uh, yeah. and it's like so good and those are fun to like revel in something we like or don't like all together but like this is where it's like you get conversation mm-hmm. you know I mean like I, I I like that. That's kind of like like a lot of times like I'll put in like a CD in the car and my wife Bronwyn will be like, she'll be like, what do you get out of this? You know? And I'm just, I hadn't even considered that this might be unpleasant to someone, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, and that, that is, I'm not, I'm not like, how dare you? I'm like, Oh, huh. What do I like about you're, this? You're you putting know? on the wiggles. You're like, <laughs> I, I like the veggie salad recipe. It's it's helpful to have it in a song, you know? <laughs> well, awesome. Uh, so like I said, uh, we will be going forward into the bold new direction Hickman takes these characters. Uh, I think next episode might be a special one-off to give you guys a, a break. We'll have us catch up a little bit. Uh, plus, it's my birthday episode, so I don't want to work too hard. Uh, but rest assured, we will be back soon covering the first two trades of the next series, which is simply titled FF, uh, which stands for Future Foundation. Fucking and the <laughs> and the arcs are called tomorrow and the supremer seed uh, slash it's called the war of the four cities. Are you sure that's not pronounced as supremacied? No, supremer seed. Okay, two different words. But um, uh, yeah, next episode is probably going to be like a birthday discussion episode thing on something I just like, you know, with someone. I don't know. Also, give us a, a George Washington birthday discussion. Yeah, I mean, yeah, wood teeth. Give us a spoiler. Hey, Nick. Yeah, that's cut, cool. Cut down a tree. <laughs> you guys share a birthday and the fact that you have wooden teeth. <gasps> Don't tell people I have wood teeth. People you would hear the though. people would hear the whistling. Have you- <laughs> <laughs> like that episode of Always Sunny where they get, get the wooden teeth. That's the one thing that that's a, that's a prejudice against wooden teeth people. They can't do podcasts. Did you, uh, <laughs> did you cut, have you cut down a tree? Isn't that what Washington did? He cut down a tree or something? But yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's a legend that he cut down a cherry tree. Yeah, I don't it's impossible. Really yeah, a, a and person then he could never lie about do it in real life. Huh? I don't. I don't know. But either way, either way, uh, yeah. So next episode is probably going to be like a, a one-off kind of break period for this, and then we'll be back after that with the first two future foundation trades. Um, yeah, uh, that's that's it, guys. Uh, there you have it, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you want to support this podcast, check out the Patreon, Patreon.com/slash None of My Friends Like Comics. Uh, follow the show on Twitter at No Comic Friends for updates. Email the show at None of My Friends Like Comics at gmail.com. Uh, be sure to check out now. Listen to this music podcast where me, Brett, and Max, and sometimes Chris uh, uh, talk about albums and dissect them on the show. Uh, and lastly, if you like the show please tell your friends family who might be interested give it a listen we're on spotify apple podcast wherever you get your podcast thanks again for listening we'll see you on the next page and we gotta go watch wrestling mm-hmm.